0: Hey, my name is Chris Brennan and you're listening to The Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the meaning of the zodiac sign Leo and everything basically associated with that sign. So, Joining me today are astrologers Joe O'Neill and Nick Dagan-Best. Welcome, both of you.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris. Chris.
0: Yeah, and we are recording this for those that like the data for the Virgos in the room on Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022, starting at 12.06 PM in Denver, Colorado. Not sure what episode this is, somewhere in the 300s, mid 300s I would say. Um all right. So, joining me today are two Leo's. What are your credentials? Uh first Joe, what are your what are your Leo credentials?
1: My Leo credentials. So, I have a Leo sun and the Leo rising as well and Jupiter in Leo.
0: Joe. Okay, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, it's not like the biggest stellium in the world, but that's pretty Good uh compared you, to things.
2: You call that Leo?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming.
0: <laughs> right. The yeah, other Leo's in the
2: room. Hey, it's uh, not gonna be a Leo episode if we're not constantly one upping each other. So like, <laughs> we got
1: we might as
0: well just get into the
2: spirit of the thing.
1: All right, um, what uh, do you got, Nick? <laughs> and hold
0: on, uh, I meant to ask ahead of time, are you both comfortable sharing your charts or you prefer not to share the entire chart? It's fine either way. I'm comfortable sharing Joe's chart. Okay,
1: (laughs) I'm I'm also comfortable sharing Joe's chart. It's been shared here before, so
0: likewise. Okay, here is Joe's chart really quickly for those watching the video version. So 11, Leo rising, Sun at 15 Leo, Jupiter at 22. Interesting question, discussion question that came up lately. Um, And whatever your answer is, I'm fine either way. But you identify more as a day chart or a night chart.
1: My chart seems to work more like a night chart. Um, I'm sure I could probably do more research as far as ZR goes, but I've had like ZR readings where night chart ZR dates seem to work better. Um, I also have a really angular Saturn that kind of like by degree, like my moon is approaching an out of sign, like from out of sign, it's approaching an opposition with Saturn. So maybe I just feel Saturn (laughs) enough to feel like it's a night chart.
0: Right. Well, that would be an interesting case study, just because that was something I've been trying to research. Is this like range of twilight, and when a person's born just before sunrise? At what point does it become a day chart versus a night chart? And some of the ambiguity there. All right. So we'll we'll, skip the, we'll, we'll yeah. take a range check on that discussion. Um, Nick, what are your what are your credentials? Mars,
2: ascendant, Sun, and Mercury in Leo. All right,
0: I'm going to pull your Jupiter schmoopiter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got to admit that that tops me for, for Leonis, for sure. For sure.
0: All right, we we'll go. Four planets, stellium versus three planets, stellium. Yeah. We will see during the course of the episode. Interestingly, though, both of you have the Sun and Ascendant, very similar ranges, um, yeah. being born basically just before sunrise. Uh, yeah, basically with Leo rising and the Sun in Leo. So that's pretty cool. Yep. Yep. All right, so those are your credentials. Let me show my graphic image. Um, This is the graphic that Paula Bellomini and I designed that just shows the signs of the zodiac. Leo is the fifth sign of the zodiac, so this is the fifth sign that we're going to be talking about in my series doing a deep dive into each of the signs. Let's start with some stats for the sign of Leo. So for the video viewers, this is the glyph or the symbol for Leo up at the top. Leo is actually like the Latin word. it means lion from the Greek word that means lion and so on and so forth. Lion being the like animal totem that's associated with this sign of the zodiac. So Leo is a masculine or diurnal sign because it's an odd sign in the alternation between odd and even signs starting with Aries. Uh, it's a fire or a fiery sign in terms of the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water and it's a fixed sign in terms of the uh, modalities or quadruplicities of cardinal fixed and mutable. So it's actually the the second fixed sign in our series following after Taurus. So uh, Leo is the sign that is said to be the domicile of the Sun or the sign that is ruled by the Sun, and it is said to be the detriment of Saturn because it's the sign opposite to one of Saturn's rulerships or traditional rulerships of Aquarius. All right, so those are all the basic stats. Are there any other basic things that I'm sort of forgetting?
2: Um, Not as far as those basic stats are confirmed. Oh, there's one you're
0: forgetting, that Leo's the greatest sign. That's that you, true. You, you I mean, forgot I a, that. Scorpio, that's a little, a little arguable, I want to say, but I mean, we could say that for the sake of yeah, this yeah. episode. Yeah, take, take a
2: world poll. Let, let's see how many people think Scorpio is the greatest sign.
0: <laughs> I would, there would be a, a lot of very adamant Scorpios that would answer to that. and but th- There are some
2: people know. who would disagree with Leo. Th- these people are known as the mistaken ones, but there's
0: virtually <laughs> right. no one who would... <laughs> Who would uh, choose Scorpio? That's just all right, absurd. my friend. Well, if you want to put a target on your back with the world, <laughs> Scorpios. I know, really I just, I just
2: got every Scorpio in the world after me. I was,
0: yeah, that was your not your, a bright move. That's your progative. Leo's are
2: not known for being bright, just the greatest. That's all. That's the greatest.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, bright is a is a thing that we're going to come back to here pretty regularly as a as a keyword for Leo. That's pretty good through its association with the sun. Um, but one last, actually. Thing that we could mention with Leo is that, or two things actually. One, it's a hot sign in terms of the qualities, where there's different um, qualities associated with each of the elements, and since it's a fire sign, it's also said to be a hot sign. Um, it falls right in the middle of the summer in the northern hemisphere, and in terms of body parts, um, it tends to be associated. One of the primary body parts it's associated with internally is the heart. Um, and that's something that we'll come back to as well. Um, what do you think, Joe? Are there any other like basic things that we have to mention right at the start?
1: I think that really covers most of the basic stuff. Um, the, the elemental quality uh, qualities of fire, hotness, and dryness are something I think about a lot when it comes to thinking about fire signs in general, but especially Leo. Um, because I think a common keyword we associate with Leo is leadership. Um, or royalty, and elementally or temperamentally, really, hotness and dryness. Dryness especially kind of denotes separation or like distance. And there's something about being the best or the greatest or being first or in some kind of position of authority that does create some distance. Um, And that's getting kind of like a little into the weeds of qualities and temperament right away. But those are some of the underlying things under like one common keyword that I think about with Leo.
0: Mm, yeah, I like that, and and something we'll go we'll do throughout the course. I've done throughout the course of this series is contrast. I do tend to use, for example, for Aquarius the contrast of the opposite. The original Stoic assignments where Aquarius was primarily at least a cold. Sign or air was a cold element, and that's why it's opposite to fire in the zodiac as a contrasting thing between the sun and Saturn and Leo and Aquarius. So that is definitely a contrast that I want to come back to and, and talk about a lot during the course of this. Because one of the things we've done in this series is shown how sometimes you can understand uh, the signs and their individual qualities the best by contrasting them sometimes with other signs. So that's something I think we should definitely do a lot of during the course of this episode. All right. Um, basic archetypal keywords, what are some basic keywords? Where do we need to start? I think we need to start one with the idea of um, centrality, of the Sun being the ruler of Leo and that being one of the main things that we'll come back to a lot, that it's not just um, ruled by the Sun, but it's also a fixed sign. So out of the three fire signs, um, you know, Aries is a cardinal sign, so it moves, it initiates things. Leo, though, being our second fire sign, is a fixed fire sign. So it wants to stay in place or it wants to develop some sense of like permanence. Um, To whatever extent something can be permanent in this, you know, impermanent world, um, the fixed signs are the ones that get us closest to that. So the concept here is going to be fixed fire as one of our primary things. And what is the most like fixed and fiery thing? that we know of, and it's actually the Sun which sits there at the very center of our solar system and that all of the other planets revolve around. So there's these ideas of like centrality, um, permanence, and other things revolving around it, which I think are at the very heart of not just the significations of the Sun, but also Leo. uh, And many of the other keywords then are, are probably derived from those as central significations.
1: Yeah, this is something I think about a lot as far as um, why Leo is like it is and why the sun is like it is and the connection between those two is that centrality. Um, And this idea of the sun having to do with selfhood and self-concept and some kind of like deep internal purpose, almost like divine purpose, if you will, um, and how that is so central to our lives as humans and is kind of a driving force. And... I think with Leo being a fixed fire sign, there can be a desire uh, that we often see bubble up um, into words like attention seeking or like um, enjoying the attention or the spotlight. Um, there's this idea of like wanting to establish an identity and have it be something authentic and, um, and permanent in some way, uh, which can be really challenging because, you know, identity is fluid like so much of the world as well. But yeah, there's that huge central uh, component to the sun in a chart, and then also Leo in a chart that really, uh, I do think it is where so many of these keywords and ideas stem from.
0: Right. So one of your points is what could be more central to a person than their identity or their sense of self or who they are? It's like right. the most important thing, almost to any of the us. But it's also one of the things that we almost take the granted take for granted the most. Right. Okay, um, identity. Where do you go with that, Nick? In terms of keywords, thinking about identity or or centrality or fixed fire Yeah,
2: um, I mean, I think of it as as being, uh, you know, that when you think of the axis of Leo and Aquarius, um, Leo is the individual, whereas Saturn is, uh, you know, Aquarius represents sort of like the the greater whole, the 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 you know the collective with a capital C, if you will. Um, so I think of the sun as being, yeah, like about about identity, but like selfhood, individual, uh, individual will, um, and and yeah, in the sense that it's fixed, it's 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 um, it's about the essential person, the 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 sense of a person that doesn't change, you know, despite experience or m- maturity or what have you. There's something. Uh, the, the Leos often have a sort of childlike nature, so there's something sort of like always keeping alive the the essential self
0: um, that I think is is you know also rooted in that in that fixedness. Yeah, so like a, a youthful quality is is something that's often associated with Leo. We saw a little bit of that with Gemini already um, uh, as a sign as well, but Leo is definitely one of those other signs that youthfulness or concepts of youth. Um, do often come up as very central or very important to Leo.
2: yeah especially it's sort of the playful side i mean it's true Gemini also has a sort of childlike nature to it but it's more of the sort of childlike curiosity uh whereas leo it's 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 the it's play like everything is play i mean even when when I'm doing astrology I'm playing you know i'm i'm you know I could be five years old on a swing set it's kind of that that same feeling like it, enjoying what you do everything's sort of, uh, you know, part of the purpose of everything is is to 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 have fun, to play, to enjoy. You know, even when you're doing very serious adult things.
1: Yeah, yeah I like that. And when you mentioned Gemini's childlike being related to curiosity, it made me think of how um, play in a Leonine sense is kind of, can be kind of performative or like I imagine, you know, little kids like pretending to be an animal or something when we're oh, talking yeah. about actual children. But there's something uh, very performance related with Leo as well. And I think sometimes that gets kind of a bad rap for being artificial somehow or like fake, which mm. it certainly can be. But it's also, there's something about, um kind of the inner world or like the ness that essential nature that you mentioned Nick being expressed into the outward world which is kind of a performance and oh, i think yeah. that's pretty central to leo as well um, so that's something i think about yeah, too and, yeah
2: and also just in, in more broadly central to the sun i mean that's part of what the sun does mm-hmm. you know in in any chart it is sort of the 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 part of you that you're putting out in the world um you know how how you're yeah how you How you're
0: sort of, yeah presenting yourself? yeah, and that's perfect. and that's also probably um, following up on the previous sign, which was the moon and uh, or, or the cancer, which is ruled by the moon, which sort of like receives and reflects the light of the sun um, and has a bit of a more internal quality. And we talked a lot about the internal like emotional state, whereas Leo being ruled by the Sun, focuses more on this quality of emitting light. And the sun emitting things or sending things out and um, radiating uh, becomes like a central astronomical keyword or concept, then that just comes over into a bunch of different things. But one of those things can be um, performance as a means of like emitting or radiating one's light. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's very well stated. Here's that again. So that might um, bring up, and I did want to give a shout out to Camille Michelle Gray that helped me with some of the a lot of the research for this episode and like prep for this episode. And she appeared previously on the Gemini episode. If people want to go back and check that out, um, and there's a link to her website there. But um, that makes me think a little bit also of how one of the things I've been focusing on in this series, how each sign seems to have some sort of like corrective function in following after the sign that came before it. And I think right there we're really getting to one of the the core um, corrective functions about Leo in following after Cancer is that Cancer's tendency to internalize things and to focus on the internal world of emotions and dreams and feelings and things like that versus the Sun um, tending instead to uh, be more extroverted and tend to focus on the external world and like putting stuff out into into the external world, which can be things like performance, but it can also be things like just creating things or the process of creation in the world in general, and saying like, "This is what I created. Like, I created this thing, mm-hmm. whatever whatever that thing happens to be."
2: Yeah, no, that's also very well put. Um, I absolutely think of the signs as being, you know, successive signs are a correction of the the previous sign. Um, So, yeah, um, um, absolutely. That inward sort of uh, um, that that inner world of cancer is sort of turned on its head when you get to Leo and and you're presenting to the world and like you said, creating.
1: Yeah, and you know. I just recently listened to that cancer episode, which was fantastic, and there was a lot of talk about the moon being related to fortune and body. Um, the moon joining in a in the third house, which you know the the first through sixth houses being fortune related, and then the seventh through twelfth houses being a uh, spirit related. I think of that fortune spirit dichotomy a lot too, with the sun and moon, uh, with the moon being again, body related, it's about our instincts, our internal worlds, and then the sun being spirit re- spirit related. Um, so if fortune is like the world happening to us, spirit mm. being like us happening to the world, and that also kind of relates to this kind of expressive, creative, uh, performative quality of the sun and of Leo that is kind of corrective to cancer. So that's something I think about a lot, that huge shift from the lunar to the solar with these signs.
0: I love that. Yeah, that's a really good point because fortune or the concept of fortune is that which we receive and that just happens to us or befalls us in our environment, but spirit is that which we create through free will or through choice or through action, and taking action and making choices and um, expressing our internal desires and our internal um, qualities and sort of making them known to the world is one of the things that Leo really focuses on and excels at. So that's why it becomes associated with not just performers but also artists of all kinds and creators of all kinds.
2: Yeah, and and again, I, I think uh, Joe's uh, um, analogy is perfect, and it also just applies more broadly to the functions of the sun and moon in the chart as well. You know, it's it's an extension of that. Uh, the Moon being a, a sort of a receiver and the Sun being a sender. Or if you think of like a you know, two doors, one is an indoor, one is an outdoor. And you know with with cancer, you're you're going inside. With Leo, you're going outside.
0: you're you're they're, they're moving in different directions. Yeah, that makes me think of one person that has an interesting blend, and we mentioned her in the previous episode, which is the cancer episode for being a Sun sign cancer. Um, but she actually has also, or, or had, Leo rising with Mercury and Leo, which is the artist uh, Frida Kahlo. So she's an interesting blend between like Leo placements and cancer placements, in between those two things of like her sort of intense focus on her internal world and some of the things that she dealt with and suffered with in like love or health or. Um, You know the loss of a child or other things like that, but then also expressing those things through her artwork and sort of putting some of those hardships on display in some sense seems more reminiscent of some of her Leo placements of Leo rising and Mercury in Leo.
2: Yeah, this is one of the perfect examples because she really is a Cancerian artist. She really is putting on display her... For people who haven't seen her art, I guess they have to Google it, but it really does center on uh, uh, on her physical body. I mean, to, you know, so much of her painting, she she took up painting um, after after this really damaging accident uh, that that shattered her. She had a pole go right through her pelvis in a bus accident. And as she was recuperating, and so her painting was always centered on uh, her broken body and the healing of her body and and how she felt about her body. Um, so it is. It, it really is. And and yet, uh, you know, processing her internal cancerian uh reaction to that but but uh, sort of putting it out there you know putting
0: putting that out inner world out on display well and then the Leo part was that most of her paintings I think feature her herself yes, or like self, exactly self-portraits por- self yeah yeah and there's so there's something about that there's something Leo teaches us about like the value and like appropriateness of of like a healthy obsession almost with self. And the journey that each of us is going through in life to understand and to find ourselves and sort of like dig it up in different stages and, and discover who we are and what we're doing here in some sense, and that that can be healthy and restorative. And while there can be like downsides or shadow sides to that, that there can be something also that's very enriching and necessary about that at the same time.
1: Right. Like, I even think about the sun, um, the analogy of, like, the sun being the center of the solar system and this idea that there's, like, a self-centeredness about Leo or, like, the sun in Leo, uh, which there can be. But I think there's something to that kind of, like, a genuine self-fascination or, like, a, a desire to really fully understand your own authenticity and be able to um, radiate that outwards, Um and thinking about this, even in the context of relationship, like your your own self and who you are, your needs and desires, and your authenticity is such an important reference point in relationship or in a group setting or just interacting with the world. And I think there's so much focus on um, cultivating that and kind of honoring that with Leo. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, funny note that Camille Michelle Gray noted in her notes in her research for this when she was helping me was that Salma Hayek, who campaigned for uh, the Frida Kahlo film and who ended up playing Frida Kahlo in that film like 20 years ago, uh, that biographical film has Venus and Mars in Leo and her Venus conjoins Frida Kahlo's first house Mercury in Leo, um, which is kind of a beautiful and brilliant way sometimes that 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 can be expressed or that um, individual actors, sometimes our artists, can have astrological connections that echo uh, or, or or, in some ways reflect the things that they're actually demonstrating through their acting or through their art. I, I love that this is coming up. I Just to, to be a little more Leo about this,
2: the very first astrological employment I ever had in 2000 was writing articles for stariq.com. And the very first article I ever wrote for them was called Frida Kahlo and Salma Hayek peas in a pod or Saturn in Pisces, and it was the film hadn't actually been made yet. They had only just secured Julia Tamor to Julie Taymor to direct it, so it was going to be made. And I was just writing about the fact that it was going to be made, and and I wrote this whole thing about how Frida and, and Salma both have Saturn in Pisces and how you know it, it applied to both their lives and how it connected them and so forth. So. Um, just as an aside, it's so lovely
0: to be 22 years later to have the same subject coming up. Yeah, that's brilliant. And we don't have a birth time for Selma Hayek, right? No, she was born in Mexico, and it's harder to get Mexican okay. birth times. I just did a noon chart, but for those watching the video version, here's her chart with Mars at five degrees of Leo, if this is correct, and mm. Venus at 22. Does that look correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right.
2: Yeah, and there's that Saturn and Pisces at the bottom. And yeah, they both had Jupiter and Cancer for that Yeah,
1: matter. yeah, I was just uh, about to say they share that too.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, effectively, Salma Hayek was born on what would have been Frida's second Saturn return, which is always a mm-hmm. Ju- Jupiter return as well. So that's, I mean, if Frida died about, uh, she died in 54, um, shortly after the attack on Guatemala. The last thing she did was protest that. So yeah, she died in 54. During the Mars retrograde that went from Capricorn to Sagittarius, the first uh, second Mars retrograde in Capricorn since she was born with Mars retrograde in Capricorn. Um, So yeah, there's there's an interesting theme with all that as well. But um, yeah, even though Frida died long before Salma was born, there's still you know that sort of Saturn connection between them. I suppose. Mm, Nice.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, Are there any other examples that either of you can think of besides those two that Invoke some of the, I don't know, the keywords that we're we're talking about or thinking of at this point when it comes to Leos. Or do you have any favorite Leo celebrities or examples that you think of when you think of the sign?
2: Well, um, I mean, I, I I have a bunch
0: of Leos I think about, but they're not creative people. Um, they're they're more the shadow side of Leo. Okay. Well, we've been saying only positive things. So at some point right. in this episode, we do have to say some negative things, and so maybe that can be the good. Segue. So, give it, give it to me okay. straight. Straight. Okay. What are some of the da- shadow ones? Well, yeah, I know. I started this episode by talking about how great we
2: are, but um, right. some some of the worst people who ever lived have been Leos, and it's worth mentioning that. Um, You know, you you get your Napoleons, your M- Mussolini's, your Castro's, um, okay, and and even you know, and actually, for that matter, going sort of merging that, talking about people who are both dictators and very creative. A uh, film directors like Stanley Kubrick or Alfred Hitchcock, who really did sort of they they were like uh, um, you know emperors in their own little realm of filmmaking, uh, very creative people, but but you know sort of um, uh, the same kind of uh, um, personalities that that try to sort of control everything
0: around them, I suppose. Um, yeah, I like I like what that brings up. Let's dwell on that for a minute. So, like the Napoleon's a really interesting example in terms of like people sometimes that gravitate towards leadership roles let's say um, and you know the Leo can be very good about being the person that steps up and takes charge and like leads a group of people because sometimes when you're in like a group of people there's this effect where it's like nobody wants to be the guy that like stands out and and um, wants to be the one who, has to take the responsibility for like calling the shots and things like that and sometimes there can be this gridlock where if there's nobody there to do that nothing gets done but if there's like somebody with like really strong leo qualities in the room they will step up and be like no I'll, you know I'll do it. I'll do it I'll be the leader and I will take charge and and lead this and I because they have this internal sense of that they know what's best to do or that they don't shy away from the spotlight and that's not something that's off putting to them but instead it's something that Feeds them kind of, which I think is part of the definition in a little bit of being like an extrovert, you know, like those people Mm -hmm. that, um, who are energized by being in public and going out and interacting with people instead of depleted by it. So Leo, in some sense, gets energized by, you know, being in the spotlight or by leading a group of people or, um, something like that. But the downside of that in some instances, like with some of those, like, let's say Napoleon can be, um, you know, abusing that, or going too far in trying to make oneself the center of the entire universe, um, and there can be this like egotistical sort of streak to that in some sense.
2: Yeah, there's there's a double edged sword to the the leo sense of self you know um the it's often said like leos will take all the credit for something but you know they'll also take all the blame <laughs> they'll they'll you know like uh um it, it depends on the circumstance so and and there's there's truth to both those extremes but that that sense of like you know it all falls on them whether it really does or doesn't it's sort of um there's there's this
0: uh, sort of presumption that that in fact, uh, they do. Here's Napoleon's chart. So, yeah. sun at 22 Leo and Mercury at 6 Leo. Yeah. Possibly if he was born around this time of day, which is possible, around just before midday with Scorpio rising and the sun and Mercury in the 10th whole sign house. Um, yeah. So, is there anything else? That, what, what did Napoleon, for those that aren't like history buffs on, um, you know, 18th? nineteenth century eighteenth century history, what did Napoleon do, or why is he a good example of like a Leo and, and both the positive sides and the negative sides? Um, well, Napoleon um basically in the in the middle of the French Revolution, as it
2: was all getting sort of too crazy and unmanageable, he sort of um surfaced as a military leader. I mean part of the French Revolution involved France being at war with every country that surrounded it. And so he took over as a military leader and really sort of countered um all the military action being taken against france because of the revolution and uh, but but you know that sort of spread and he went from being a successful general to becoming the political leader of france and people were still okay with that because the revolution was kind of ending but then he crowned himself emperor i mean the most leo thing you can do yeah. like in those days yeah never put it pat like never if you've ever <laughs> well, no, but it's even more Leo than that. Just but like, give me a second here because if you give them a pe-
0: chance, they will crown themselves as emperor. <laughs> <so> that's what <laughs> I'm saying.
2: But but it's, he he he's even more Leo than that because okay. he it, usually what would happen if you had a new coronation, you know, it, it, with a Catholic nation, the Pope would crown the monarch. But what Napoleon did was he had the Pope come to the cathedral where he was being crowned to watch as Napoleon picked up the crown and put it on his own head. Mm-hmm. So like it's it, yeah yeah it's it's um it it's just layer upon layer of leoness. Yeah, he he took it a step further. Um and so yeah, eventually he got too big for his britches. He invaded a few too many countries. Portugal and Spain wasn't a good idea. Russia was definitely not a good idea and
0: um you know, things rebounded against him and he was dethroned and well, I mean they and then they like deported him in and then he escaped on an he escaped. island <laughs> yeah then he <laughs> yeah, escaped and wasn't there something crazy where then he comes up he, so he, he gets caught he gets um yes. exiled so the country they're not to gonna an kill island him. just off europe that yeah right so they won't kill him but they put him on an island and they say you're going to live the rest of your life here and that's it so you're lucky basically um, but you're too- and, and it's an island. It's an island very close to the island. He's
2: Corsican, and I think they put him on Sardinia or, or or somewhere. I forget the name of the. It's one of those small islands close there. But they put him on an island that he grew up on. Like it, he totally and he totally could have been like they set him up so he could have been like emperor of this little island, you know, just to get him out of the way.
0: But that wasn't right. good
2: enough. That, that was good enough. enough. That, that so was he
0: escapes. He gets back on the mainland in France, and he like raises another army. And I think at one point early on, he like goes up against another army, and they don't they like lay down their arms and like join him or that's, something. That's the first thing that happens, but before,
2: okay. yeah, yeah, it's called the Hundred Days. So he, yeah, he escapes, he gets back to mainland France, and he's leading up an army, and this resistance force is raised up to counter him. But when they come up against them, they just they can't do it, and they
0: swear fealty and and yeah, get behind him. He must have had like really good hair or something like that. Like that's what I imagine is just like. He did when he was young, but by this point he's, you know,
2: looking more like me, uh, you know, things are, are thinning out and he's not, yeah, he's not quite his former, um, attractive self. So it's, um, All right, well, mind still- you, he always, he, he, he got his portrait painters to make him look better than he really was. That's the other thing.
0: Yeah, that's the other. That's very important.
2: Jacques Louis David happened to be in his corner, and that's the guy. That's another Leo, a Leo painter. That's a guy you want in your corner because he'll <laughs> he'll paint you mounted on a horse, rising up the Alps with a sword in your hand and all that stuff.
0: Well, oh, that's okay. another. <laughs> there you go. That's that picture from Wikipedia. Very. Yeah. That's uh, the low key is not like a, like a uh, <laughs> word for for Leo. Like no. they have to go. All the way, like the extravagance of presentation sometimes is one of the Leo keywords.
2: Right. Look, look up, look the portrait of him by Jacques Louis David when he's, it's an earlier one, when he's got his long hair and he's on his mounted horse climbing the Alps about to sort out the Habsburgs in Italy.
1: I love this Uh, idea that there's like a Leo painter that's like in his corner for like this ancient Instagram filter idea. Like, oh, don't worry, I'll make it look really good. Yeah, yeah no,
2: but I mean, David had been painting all along the revolution. Like one of his famous paintings is is Marat when he'd been assassinated, falling out of the bathtub. Like he'd been documenting the. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There it is. (laughs) That's good. Red cape. Yeah, yeah. You know, Um, so Napoleon was in charge of his own PR. And he really knew what he was doing. Like those paintings, speak volumes. You know, they, they there, there is no photography
0: yet. So that's that's it. That is your yeah. Instagram. So Leo has some kind of like innate sense of yes, not just PR, but like public perception and the way they are perceived and the way the public perceives them being really important thing to them.
2: Yeah. I mean, think of, I I mentioned Alfred Hitchcock earlier, but, you know, think of, this is a director, most film directors like sit behind the camera and they're sort of invisible, but you've got a director who was like a personality as big as his films. And he even put himself, I don't know if you know this, but like in every Alfred Hitchcock film, he would have a little cameo where he turned up, like it's such a Leo thing to do. Um, So yeah, there's, there's that sense of like really Really having a sense of how you come off, how you're presented. I mean, that's what the sun's about. It's the presentation.
1: Right. Well, um, yeah. And, you know, I also think about how, like, what the sun physically does in our world. Like, when it's daytime, it's light outside, and you can see things. The sun illuminates or reveals. Mm-hmm. Um, we can even link that back to spirit versus fortune and, like, revelation and things like that. But on a really basic level, you, you see that with the... um charisma or this idea of like the spotlight with Leo um, and the sun, it really is about like showing people something. And so there's, there is this inherent sense of how you're being perceived or who is perceiving you. Um, And, and kind of, there's sometimes this feeling of wanting to curate that to be a specific way, whether that is um, driven by hubris or a desire for control, or just a desire to be really true to yourself and like radiate what is authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that perception thing is so huge just based on the sun being the the planet who illuminates everything.
0: I like that. That's a really good point. And so the concept of, of light and what can be seen and also illuminating things, but also um Anatomically, the sun is also associated in astrology with sight and with um, the eyes, or at least with one of the eyes in ancient astrology. Mm -hmm. So it has actually a direct connection with the eyes themselves. And sometimes, like ancient astrological texts, will say if you're having like a really bad transit to like the sun or something like that, that could involve like an injury to the eye or something that sort of um, obscures your eyesight for a period of time.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that makes me think of this phrase, like what you see is what you get, um, which is not always the case with Leo because there can be curation and performance and whatnot. But there is this idea that I think of, of kind of being able to walk the talk um, or striving to do that, trying to really put into action and like show what you're about rather than just talk about it. Um, And so that's something I think about too, that feels kind of related to this idea of sight and things like that.
0: Mm. Okay. Um I'm just looking through my list of Leo Sun people. Um, it's like a dirty data one, but um Yves Saint Laurent was a designer. Eve St. Laurent, yeah. Yeah. I don't know Um, I don't know much about them, but um okay. But they were a uh French like fashion designer, right? With the sun, Venus, and Mercury and Leo. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that idea of, of fashion. Like fashion, I think, is one of the well, there may have been a little bit of that already in Taurus. Um, Leo, I think, is the first one where we get to like a really fashionable sign or a sign that focuses on fashion as part of the presentation um and, and like what you're wearing as an expression of your sort of internal radiation of your qualities in your light. Yeah. I mean, think of, you know. Jackie Kennedy, you know, um,
2: a Leo and, you know, a sort of a fashion icon of the, the notion of a first lady being a fashion icon, you know hadn't, hadn't been a thing since Dolly Madison, maybe, uh, you know, not, not to sort of demean anyone, but first ladies were typically seen as sort of, you know, old matriarchs, if you will, but there was nothing matriarchal about her. She was this glamorous, you know, I mean, hell, what's the most famous uniform of the 20th century. It's probably her, the Chanel suit that she's wearing when her husband's murdered, you know, that becomes like a, one of the most definable um, fashion statements of the century. Um, iron, say, ironically, ironically, it's based on Chanel's design of of the the uniform she had to wear in an orphanage
0: when she was growing up. But that's you know just a beautiful irony. But uh, yeah, that's she she wore that. Um, it was like a pink uh, yeah dress with, with the sort of pillbox hat type thing. Mm-hmm. But when she when her husband was shot in the motorcade next to her and died, she continued wearing it that day. During yep. there's a famous photo of her. Um, of um, the when next Johnsons being inaugurated, yeah, being and sworn in, and and what did she say? She said, "I want them to see what they did to him, or something like yeah. that." Yeah, was that yeah, the exactly put sh- shining light on on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, "I want them to see." So, um, she had Scorpio rising, and the Sun, Mercury, and the Midheaven, the degree of the Midheaven, as well as the Lot of Fortune in Leo in the tenth whole sign house. Yeah, yeah. So that is pretty, pretty good one. And
2: I mean, you know, just on the, on the themes of presidents, I mean, think about the Leo presidents we've had and, you know, I can, well, there's, there's three I can think of. And two of them were very Leo in the way they acted. The third one, it's a little more subtle. It's Herbert
0: Hoover. Uh, but Barack (laughs) Obama, he was such a, (laughs) character. <laughs>
2: well, no, he 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 had his own way of being Leo, but it's not quite the same way. But let's go with the ones that are more familiar to us: yep. Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. And just think of you know whether you're you know no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, their Leoness compared to uh, um, you know some of their peers is is
0: quite quite obvious. Um, right. So they were both um, sun sign Leos. Yeah. So here is. Obama, who had the Sun, Mercury, the descendant Uranus, and the North Node in Leo in the seventh whole sign house, and then um, Bill Clinton, who had the Sun, Pluto, Mercury, and Saturn all in Leo in the eleventh house. Yeah, yeah, um, and of course we're, we're we're leaving out one guy, um, but well, there are he's two got...
2: two Leo risings that are worth yes, mentioning. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think we know who one of them is uh, right off the bat because. Um, Let's
0: go chronologically. Let's
2: go chronologically.
0: <laughs> Save the best okay. for last. <laughs> so, uh, the first one um, was George W. Bush. So, the younger George Bush was a Leo, or is a Leo rising, right? Mm. Correct. Yeah,
2: and he's just like Frida Kahlo; he's turned into a painter. <laughs> Not quite as good, but
0: um. All right, there's his chart. So Ascendant at seven degrees of Leo, Mercury, Pluto, and Venus um, in Leo in the first whole sign house. Mm. And then um, more recently, we had another president who had Leo rising, um, and that was Donald, Donald Trump. Who There were two different times, but when the birth certificate was released, um, it turned out he still had 29 Leo rising So, uh, barely a Leo, but I think fully qualified Leo. I don't think anyone would argue that point at this point.
2: Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's worth since he's coming up, it's worth talking about Regulus, the star, um, which is very close to his Mars and ascendant um regulus is is a a bright it's one you know considered one of the royal stars a very bright star right on the ecliptic uh it's the heart of the lion in terms of its place in the constellation and it's a star like like the royal stars it comes with a sort of Blessing slash curse to it, and you know the blessing is, uh, you know, prominence and authority and and all all the sort of leadership traits that uh, um, you know charisma uh, that that um, Leo embodies. But it comes with this big sort of caveat, which um, which is arrogance. Um, people with prominent Regulus are punished for their arrogance, um, and no matter what you think of. Um, you know the uh, dt um you know if you ask him he's being you know forget about what we think if you ask him he's being punished for his arrogance you know he's he's he he's constantly complaining about how uh, you know, victimized. He is <laughs>
0: now. He's the most victimized person in history, and everything. Mm. Um, well, yeah, that's a good one. Let's contrast those two. And it's a little hard, obviously, because it comes down to like political takes and people's political views. Right. But I'm yeah. I'm fine with that because, like, I like just as an astrologer, like, I'm okay recognizing some of that and recognizing the two pieces. Um, but Obama, for example, um, rose to prominence and power and became president relatively quickly in his um mm. career due to his charisma or, or, yes, or partially yeah. due to his charisma, he was also an amazing like orator um in terms of his speeches and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this charismatic quality to him. And I wasn't quite around paying attention to politics in the early nineties, but I'm sort of told that Bill Clinton had something similar oh, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. in terms of like a charisma.
2: The first time I ever laid eyes on Bill Clinton, the same way a lot of people did, was he's on Arsenio Hall wearing sunglasses, playing the saxophone, which was right. like, compared to George H.W. Bush, it was so, you know, here's this sort of young, cool, hip guy. Um, um, yeah, literally, you know, showing off on a on a late night talk show. Um, and then, you know, the existing president who was well qualified and competent, but uh, just didn't
0: have what it takes. Yeah, so cool. That's a good keyword. I think I actually like that as a keyword for Leo. Mm. Leo's are kind of cool or coolness is like a Yeah, I uh, think it's I th- you thing.
2: know, there's th- there's a funny thing Michael Luton said to me once that people um when they're single act more like their opposite sign. You know, like when they're when they're projecting when they're trying to sort of, you know, attract. And so Leos will act like the, I think cool is really Aquarius, but Leos mm. will act that in the same way like Aquarians will sometimes pretend they're Leos. Um, there is something about that axis that does sort of transfer back and forth, um, and I always like that analogy. And I sort of know what he means, you know. Like um, there, there is a
0: you, you might try to project the opposite of of what you are in certain instances. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so yeah. Obama had this this coolness, this yeah. charisma. One of the interesting things about Obama in the twenty sixteen election is like one of the first times I ever saw him truly. Mess up or be what I conceptualized as truly having a downfall through arrogance was with the 2016 election because it was just like nobody thought Trump was going to win, and like um, Obama did like mock Trump like a few times during the course of that election and before it or leading up to it of just like you're never going to be president. That's absurd. Hmm. And then it happened, and 2016 happened, and suddenly. Trump won, and it surprised everyone. Even Trump that night, like, looked visibly shocked when he gave, went up and gave the acceptance speech. Um, So, and then Obama basically started his second Saturn return through Capricorn, and it was this huge, like, humbling moment where all of a sudden some of that those things or or some of that arrogance sort of came back to haunt him a little bit when his Mm. like arch nemesis then took over the country for the next four years and, and proceeded to like systematically undo much of what he had set up but that's a really interesting thing that can sometimes that arrogance can sometimes be like the downfall or can backfire on leo as part of the shadow side of the leo archetype
2: that that reminds me this is a slightly 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 not off topic but just sort of going not specifically thinking of obama and trump but it comes it brings to mind another big keyword keyword for leo and that's loyalty that's mm. a big one And in fact, if you want to, you know, when you think about like history, when you want to hurt a Leo, you know, you, you, you stab them in the back, you know, you, you, you betray them. Um, I think of Julius Caesar, who we don't know if he was a Leo, but he sort of, you know, embodies Leo and that sort of, uh, leadership role and just being sort of taken down that way. That is a sort of a classic Leo takedown. Um, so yeah, there's 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 something about that the the loyalty people command. I mean, people we've been talking about, um, you know, Napoleon enjoyed as we've demonstrated incredible loyalty, um, and and it, yeah, it's a Leo, it's a Leo sort of uh, uh, value, um, and
0: arguably the highest one. You know that and- yeah yeah they really value it and sometimes almost like demand loyalty yeah um, because to be like disloyal or seen as disloyal to Leo is can be one of the biggest, you know, things that can put you on the bad list yeah. for a Leo. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you think about that, Joe?
1: Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, loyalty as a as a very core Leo characteristic. It makes me think of some other Leo characteristics, such as um, sincerity or a very genuine quality um, or even honesty. Um, as Of course, there's not always like pure honesty when it comes to, especially when we're talking about politicians, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there is kind of like an earnestness that can come along with Leo. Um, and... And a generosity of heart as well. Um, I think of terms like open-hearted when I think of Leo and the, you know, their their best qualities. We talked a little bit about the shadow stuff, but um, I think Leo placements can be very, very loyal, and in their earnestness, can expect that from others, and at least hope and wish for that from others. Um, because why wouldn't you? You know, when you are open-hearted, when there is that trust. Um, I do agree that that trust being broken is like a huge, it's, it's heartbreaking, uh, speaking of the heart and Leo, mm. um, but it's a, it's a huge burn to a Leo. And I think that's super important for this sign of the sun that is about this kind of, um, this almost kind of transparency and honesty. Those are some of the other related things I think about, um, when it comes to loyalty.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah and I uh, I love the word you use earnestness because that's that's so Leo you know uh, uh right or wrong there's a sort of it's again it comes down to that childlike thing um I mm-hmm. think of Leos as being kind of gullible you know they're not if if they're cynical it's because life made them that way and not you know it's not innate uh there's not sort of like an innate um you know, not like you, Scorpios. You know, we're not born just like sort of sus- suspecting everyone <laughs> with
0: like a, <laughs> a born with like a switchblade, like, exactly. hand, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, right yeah. out of yeah. the uterus. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No, um, there is there's a sort of childlike presumption, like you know, hey, I'm going to love everyone, and everyone's going to love me, and you know, I mean, of course, life eventually sorts that out but
0: um, one of the funniest significations I laughed at when I, d- I did a poll like I've done for these episodes on Twitter of like what keywords you associate and one of the funniest ones I laughed at that somebody gave was a uh, golden retriever for for Leo <sighs> that was <laughs> <laughs>
1: I saw that and I was like god damn it
0: yeah yeah, that's, that's I hate really it good. because it's
1: kind of true like there's no, like it, it, an exuberance it, it, and yeah, I mean yeah. I have Jupiter and Leo also so like this is coming from my own bias but like I've always had that kind of like um undying optimism somehow like also with angular saturn i don't understand how it works but um but yeah there is this exuberance and like um people eager to please know, eager, yeah eager to please yeah, like yeah. just like dogs are so loyal as well mm-hmm. and they're just dogs aren't like hiding anything or censoring anything like there is that pure life force just like radiating out mm-hmm. um and there there is something very leonine about it
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, just I know. like it's you, just big not... dumb, dumb beautiful animal. Yes. Like <laughs> <laughs> Leos are kind of like the the him, himbo himbos of the zodiac. We're, the we're starting. Life, so.
2: We're gonna start a world war between all Leos and all Scorpios. All Scorpios, okay.
1: <laughs> I'm taking yeah. it as a compliment, and it it makes me think of speak. I know, like we're Virgo is a different episode, but I think about um the qualities of Leo and sort of the corrective function of Virgo to Leo. And I right. think about Virgo as like modulating or like editing a little bit of that. And, you know, of course I do, I have three Virgo placements to go with my two Leo placements. Three that, Virgo um,
2: placements. You call those
0: Virgo?
2: Hey,
1: we both have Venus in Virgo, so we, we did, can kind of, yeah. we can, we can gel on that. Uh, um,
0: astrologers have stellium measuring contests. Like that's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the New thing. I didn't. I didn't realize that was a thing. But now, okay. All but right. now, we can, we'll but keep now. it. In, keep it in your. Leo's in gonna your Leo. Pans.
2: Leo's <laughs> gonna Leo.
0: Yeah. All right. Um. We'll keep it in your pants for this episode, and then um, that's great. The modulating quality because it's good to start bringing that that contrast, which is like when we switch to Virgo, and you get that corrective function or feature of that sign. One of the things is it's much more like ana- analytical, and uh, you know a little bit. Like intellectual and almost overly focused on the intellect, but also there's like a humbling that happens. Like suddenly you get way more humble mm-hmm. when it comes to Virgo, and that's another thing that can happen. Is sometimes these this corrective function can almost like overdo it compared to the previous sign, um, and I think that's part mm-hmm. of the major contrast between Leo and Virgo. Is sometimes um, you know Leo can be more self centered or more egotistical in some some ways, and then Virgo can take it the opposite. Uh, direction and be almost like self-sacrificing or just overly helpful or overly trying to be sort of like an assistant to somebody else in, in some sense.
1: Right. Yeah, like, I, oh go ahead Nick. No, you go ahead. What you gonna say, Um I was gonna say, you know, thinking of Leo and Virgo together and um contrasting them, there's this idea of what was expressed or uh yeah, what was expressed in Leo, um moving into Virgo, it's like, okay, but how is it useful? But what is its function? And, you know, that too can go way too far because Leo, again, counterbalances Virgo by saying it's useful because it's authentic. It is expression. Like it's life force. It's the creative force uh, that we all have. And we all have a right to to put forth into the world. And arguably that's an important thing for each and every one of us to put into the world. But, um, you know, a little bit of curating or or editing or optimizing um, is a good thing with Leo and Virgo together. But it's it's interesting to think about it going both ways, not just from Leo to Virgo, but also how does Leo counterbalance that overly analytical kind of analysis paralysis thing that Virgo can do.
0: Mm. Yeah, for sure, that makes sense. Um, That made me, for some reason, think of um, gold. Like gold is actually a major sun, but also like Leo thing, and just the the notion of gold, or sometimes like liking to decorate in gold or liking golden things. Um, That was one of the funny, like weirdly like stereotypical things about Trump uh, when he was president. And just looking at his biographies, like he liked to like decorate everything with gold, and that was like his one of his things. Gold toilet. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, and so that's an interesting thing. So we haven't mentioned that as the contrast. So it's like we had Obama and some of those versions of Leo with Obama with his stellium. You know that interesting contrast of the Aquarius rising with Obama and Saturn and Capricorn, but then that that huge like Leo stellium over in the seventh house and the you know early on they called him what like cool headed Obama or something like that. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean you do you remember when he he debated John McCain
2: and the next night John Stewart put up a picture of Obama it made him look like he was like on the cover of a soul hits record album like he was so just you know meanwhile McCain was like wandering back and forth not knowing where the camera was and all that. Um okay. yeah. <clears throat> Obama I mean when I think of Obama and the first time I saw him, it reminds me of the first time I saw Clinton. I saw Obama when he in two thousand and four, he gave a speech at the Democratic convention. And that people immediately zeroed in on him on on, you know, his his charisma and his speaking skills. and next thing you knew, he was, you know, um, winning all these primaries and on his way to become president. So it was, I mean, he really sort of came out of the blue. And it was really in that same way that I remember seeing Clinton where just, you know, out of the blue, he appeared on TV and it was just,
0: Everyone knew instantly, oh, this should be the dude, you know. Yeah. And then it was like Obama also had the um, I think like a, a Mercury Neptune square. And there were some of the questions about like early on, um, his promises or like what he wanted to accomplish and sort of what the the platform that he rose. You know, into the office with versus what he was actually able to accomplish once he got into office, sometimes falling short of some of those promises. And um, there was so many interesting contrasts then leading into the Trump presidency. And so if we could talk a little bit about some of the positives and some of the negatives, because I felt like we got a weirdly stark like not stark but crash course and some Leo significations and like some some positive like stereotypical ones and some negative ter- stereotypical ones with Trump that were really interesting that might be worth just like mentioning here as as part of this exploration um so one of them I guess was the focus the, the sort of showiness and sometimes which can lead into sort of like a, like a vanity um telling everyone that you know,
2: the stakes you make are the greatest stakes. The university you make is the greatest university. The buildings you build is the greatest building. You know, I mean, that's...
0: (laughs) So everything is like the greatest or like you put your name on everything and that your name itself becomes like the branding? Yeah. Yeah. So what is it? It's like a sort of egotisticalness or something or... Because there's different ways to do that that probably would work and in some ways that did work for him and he became very successful financially and as a businessman yeah. with that um and there's probably other I'm trying to think of like other versions of that because um, sometimes it can become come off as like kind of like gaudy if that's the right word um versus i'm trying to think of other versions of that that appear less like that or or more sort of culturally um somehow passable in some way
2: yeah i mean um yeah. Um, the, the gaudiness I think is, is, is part of it. Not unlike, you know, Napoleon crowning himself, you know, that, that same kind of, uh, uh, thing, like just really going over the top, uh, um, with whatever, uh, uh, you're presenting, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's an
0: excess, um, that, that can easily be reached. So maybe, um, self-aggrandizing can be one of the keywords. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah, self-aggrandizing was the exact term I was thinking of. Like something about the this centrality of selfhood and authenticity that's important, but just like overblowing it to where you expect everyone to get in your orbit when really like, surely that you know, there are people in your life that are kind of in your orbit. and there are, you know, the self is an important reference point, but it's no one's like the most important person in the world by any means. And it's interesting thinking, too, about what you were saying, Chris. Um, the same sort of theme being somehow like acceptable or like not being as gaudy. And, you know, you mentioned Jackie O, but like fashion icon, you know what I mean? Like you can be iconic while also being tasteful. And it's like, is it's again, this this idea of excessiveness or excess versus like, is it modulated? Is there enough self-awareness to be able to have the charisma and direct it um, and use it and utilize it? Um, like we, like we saw from someone like Obama or, or, you know, many other Leo examples. Um, I think Beyonce was Beyonce in your Leo examples.
0: Isn't she a Virgo? She I think Mar- Mars and Leo. Okay.
1: Mars and Leo. I was going to say, I think there's a Leo placement at least, um, or like yeah, Whitney yeah. Houston. Um, but Madonna. yeah, Madonna. <laughs> That, yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean
0: that's the I've been waiting to pull her out, but yeah. Yeah, Leo yeah. or the other one is that uh, that goes with what you're saying, uh, Joe, is Kanye West who has Saturn and Leo. And I keep thinking we don't have a birth time for Obama. It's like there's m- different conflicting. You mean Kanye for Kanye? Yeah, there's many different mm-hmm. conflicting times, so people shouldn't rely on the ones that are currently circulating. But I, I strongly suspect that that Saturn is playing. A more prominent role in his Mm. chart, if we knew what his birth time was, either because he's like Leo rising, or because he has Saturn like ruling the ascendant, or like something like that, because like that's his only Leo placement. But that one Leo placement is like is doing like a lot of work in his chart (laughs) um, with some of those things that we're we were just talking about. Where he's a great example of someone who, on the one hand, is incredibly. Uh, just like ridiculously talented as as an artist and as a creative person, and has like ro- risen to such a high level of fame and acclaim because of that, and because of his skills and um, an and ability to also not just create art but also to like identify good art himself and to like curate or pull some of the best pieces from it. Because Kanye originally, you know, came up as a producer. And sometimes of making beats, but also going back and seeing, um, taking old um, songs or clips from songs and like um, sampling them and then creating these amazing beats, uh, you know, based on that. So there's something also with Leo or, or some level of creatives about not just creating something nice, but also being able to recognize and identify something that is aesthetically pleasing at the same time.
1: Yeah, that's that's a huge thing and this might be veering if we still want to talk about examples we we can and should but it makes me think of this idea of Leos being like the best hype people imaginable like if you need someone to gas you up find a Leo who loves mm-hmm. you to do it right. um and there's this idea of not only being able to attract attention, but also to direct it. Um, mm. and I believe it's in the first decade of Leo that Austin talks a lot about this in 36 faces, uh, which I was just reading those parts recently, but yeah, there's this oh, ability you, to you think, have
0: the book. You're one of the, I, you, that, yeah, that's I, kind of uh, like a, what's the I word for the that? Like, like you're kind of just discussion. dropping that in the middle that you have. <laughs> just to, yeah, a um, little,
1: little humble brag. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: right. Exactly. Cause like, yeah, that it's just book is it's
1: over there on my couch, you know, whatever. Very, um,
0: you have like three copies.
1: Yeah, just you know, casually, just in case. Um, Nobody
0: has copies of the book. because It's been out of print forever, and Austin is is really taking his <laughs> sweet time getting version two out, but it'll be out soon. Yeah. I, I am told. So anyway, yeah. go go ahead.
1: Um, that was really it. Just this idea of being able to direct the spotlight and direct attention, um, rather than just gather it or absorb it or you know inflate because of it. Um, and we see that with Kanye being able to like really recognize talent. And, and sort of uh, transfer the spotlight to these people who then there's this idea of like, oh, Kanye said they were good. So like we, you know, we should pay attention. And then we see like authority coming through or like kind of leadership qualities there, these other kind of Leo aspects, but um, being able to direct attention, not just absorb it is something I think about a lot.
0: I love that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Like the the delegation of the spotlight, the ability to right. delegate mm-hmm. the spotlight and point it in different directions. Like the Nicki Minaj verse uh, on Monster in his like 2010 album, and how he featured her there, and that really just like made her entire career at that point in some ways, um, and had her sort of like allowed her in some ways to outshine him on his own song. Um, I don't know personally, actually not knowing him if he was like super stoked about that or if that was like, okay with him, but that's kind of what happened. And it was something he's been good at during the course of his career. I think a classic example is when he, excuse
2: me, when he went and, um, during the, the one of those award shows and Taylor Swift had just been awarded an award and he went on stage and snatched the mic from her and said, Beyonce should have won or something like that. I mean, talk about advocating for people. That's, uh.
0: Yeah, well, that's a great example because yeah. what, he was trying, what he was trying to do, in his like semi-drunken state, was like point the spotlight as his friend Beyonce, who he felt like was being unfairly, um, you know, not given the award for having mm. what he considered to be the better music video, and then it was given to Taylor Swift, and so right. he was trying to like redirect the spotlight uh, from Taylor onto his friend. Um, although ironically, I think that was one of the things that led to, cause he also viewed that, I think personally, as an act of like loyalty to his friends, to Beyonce and to Jay Z. And ironically, that was part of the beginning of the like falling out for several years, I think between him and that couple was, um, they didn't like appreciate it and he didn't appreciate that his act of like loyalty to them wasn't, um, returned in kind or wasn't right. appreciated in some ways. Right, I, I should look at the transits for when
2: that happened, but uh, yeah, no. I'm, but it just it called to mind after everything Joe was
0: saying. I was thinking like, well, you know, that really, that really yeah. did the trick. So here's Kanye's noon chart. So the houses and the ascendant are not necessarily correct, but there's that Saturn at twelve degrees of Leo, um, and it's it's interesting. It's squaring Uranus at eight degrees of Scorpio, uh, it's well sex sextile six, Jupiter six Jupiter degrees in fourteen.
2: Is it he? Oh, sorry. My no, eyes are failing me. Sorry.
0: Yeah. And Saturn's at 12 Leo and it's sex playing mm-hmm. also Jupiter at 14 Gemini. Um, there's other things there, though, with Kanye and the, the Leo example, because it's like Saturn and Leo, where Saturn has its um, detriment or its antithesis or exile. So it struggles a little bit more um, to do well because it's in a foreign position there. And this is something that it seems like Kanye struggles with, where on the one hand, he has been able to become very successful and and become a central figure in like culturally over the course of the past decade or two but then at the same time sometimes he like goes too far or sometimes his self-aggrandizing tendencies get the best of him and um yeah, just a little it bit ridiculous
2: it looks just a little bit
0: ridiculous sometimes it's a little bit a little bit over the top sometimes a mm-hmm. little bit um th- like there's some keywords there it's not like flamboyant but there's other versions of that, like extravagance. like extravagance is a good Leo keyword, mm-hmm. I feel like. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other things we can say about Kanye about Trump. Why don't we start moving on? One of the things I like to do is to contrast. We've done a good job so far of contrasting like Leo and cancer a little bit, Leo and Virgo. Um, we might want to move into contrasting it with some of the other signs. Um, one of the ones that we've started to do a little bit was, uh, Leo versus Aquarius. And that might be something that we could get a little bit more mileage out of. I know we've done a little bit already, but so Aquarius is also a fixed sign. Um, it's an air sign. So it's an air sign. In ancient the Stoic qualities and like Vadius Valens, he associated air with coldness or, or air with a cooling property. So that was supposed to contrast. Aquarius, which is right in the middle of winter, the winter season in the northern hemisphere with Leo, which is right in the middle of the summer. So this notion of like cold being opposite to hot and also Saturn being the furthest and slowest and dimmest of the visible planets being the rule traditional ruler of Aquarius being opposite to the Sun ruling Leo. Um, how, what are some of the ways or what are some of the keywords with Aquarius that kind of like contrast? With the keywords for Leo?
2: Detached, Mm
0: -hmm. because Leo is not detached. (laughs) Right. It might pretend sometimes on a front, but yeah. So, Camille wrote down some ones, or did you have something, Joe?
1: Oh, I was just going to say, it's it's hard for me to think of the contrast between Leo and Aquarius without thinking of the contrast between the sun and Saturn. Right. And the sun having so much to do with selfhood and those kinds of things and identity with Saturn being just not concerned with those things, much uh, less concerned about the self and more concerned with um, what is sustainable, things like longevity. I imagine like the king in the center of the the capital or the city and then like the hermit that lives like out on the mountaintop being Saturn, just like reading old texts all day and like meditating. Um, There are very, very opposite priorities when it comes to the sun and Saturn. And I think we see that reflected as it trickles down into the signs they rule. So those are things I think about a lot with uh, Leo and Aquarius.
2: Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And and by extension of that, the 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 sort of the childlike quality I was I was mentioning with Leo that extends Mm -hmm. through adulthood is sort of in reverse with Aquarians who are, you know, born at
0: 80. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's I I like that as with my Aquarius rising. And one of the things though is that it's it's complementary, those opposites. It's one of the important things in the Zodiac to remember. And it's really insightful, and in that you you actually see come up in charts or in your your actual life, which is me um, having that Aquarius rising with Saturn ruling the ascendant and everything that I just like attract Leo risings, and and many of my closest friends have always been Leo rising, including the two of you. Um, so with with the ascendants being opposites, sometimes that old cliche notion of opposites attract is sort of true because it creates. Like a wholeness when you take two halves or or two halves or sides of the same coin, for sure. Uh,
2: speaking as someone who not only has the ascendant opposite your ascendant, but my sun is opposite your moon, my moon is opposite your sun, so we've yeah we've always had that that uh, that polarity going with us.
1: Yeah. yeah, and you know, what's interesting right now um, is my partner has Aquarius rising as well, but is a Leo. So like he really has both of those things present mm. in his chart very prominently. So it's interesting to see that contrast li- in lived experience, like all like right in front of me all the time. Um, and it can feel very like a, it can be kind of like a torn in two type of feeling sometimes uh, when you have that contrast present in natal charts. Um, but yeah, there are, I'm getting to see a lot of uh, ways that that Leo Aquarius axis plays out just in, in everyday life with that. So mm.
0: yeah, that's like you know Obama's chart was like that with Aquarius rising and the Sun mm-hmm. in Leo, or even um, it makes me also think of Carl Jung, who had mm. uh, Aquarius mm-hmm. rising with Saturn in Aquarius and the Sun and Uranus in Leo in the seventh.
1: Yeah. And I think with Aquarius, there's this kind of like bird's eye view idea, this like uh, Saturnian perspective, this broadening where with Leo, we really get this understanding like from the inside out. Um, that's something I think about too, because you said detached and that makes me think of the word distance um, where there there is more perspective. There's more perspective of where you, where one individual fits into the whole with Aquarius Where you you are in that like you're very in that perspective with Leo, uh, viewing it from the inside rather than like from the outside.
2: Sure, although although I would modify that only slightly to say that Leo is also a big picture sign. But like you're saying, sort of the reverse. Like they're they're both big picture signs as opposed to like Virgo. When we were just to go back for a second, the, the corrective of Virgo and Leo. Virgo's into all the little details, whereas Leo just wants sort of like the big. Picture, if you will, uh, but but I agree it's it's not a it's not a detached big picture. It's a it's a very sort of uh, um, uh, it's a perspective big picture. Whereas whereas indeed Aquarius is about like the the totality of things, the real sort of uh, wholeness of things.
0: I like that idea also of like insider versus outsider, and Leo being more insider because it's at the center of things versus Saturn and Aquarius is more. That which is outside, or that which is on the fringes, or like the periphery of things, or the periphery of society. Um, So, uh, Camille Michelle Gray had written down some contrasts that I thought were very good for Leo and Aquarius. And let me see if I can share some of those really quickly here. Here it is. So, Leo as me versus Aquarius as us. Leo is warm during the summer versus Aquarius is cool during the winter. Um, presence versus distance. The cheerleader versus the misfit. Spontaneity versus rigid. Saturn is very rigid. Sun, Saturn, subjective, objective. Emotive versus aloof. Um, to trust or forgive versus to question or you might even say to reject. Um, charisma versus like kind of like awkwardness status versus outcast, center of attention versus groups, the showman versus the intellectual since uh, Aquarius is an air sign, which tend to be more intellectual or more talkative, um, to be the light versus to enlighten, to perform versus to inform, thinking versus being, king and queen versus the kingdom. Um, Yeah, that's brilliant.
2: That's very well done.
0: Yeah, I thought those are some really good contrasts that she came up with um and it and it really starts to sometimes it's only through contrasting a sign with those other signs that you really start to get a much clearer picture of things absolutely uh, it, these
2: axes are always the 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 main thrust in everything one sign is not one way unless the other sign is the other way you know it's the, what right. defines them
0: in order to have one thing, you have to have its opposite, or in order yeah. To, yeah. it's not it's not usually framed in this way of good or bad, but in order to have good, there has to be bad to contrast it with was like an ancient like stoic conceptualization for being able to even make distinctions like that as being able to contrast things. Right. Right. Indeed. Um, all right. So oh you have something, Joe?
1: Oh, it just kind of seemed a little bit related or mildly related, this idea that when you have a very bright light, like it casts these very strong shadows too. And I think about that with Leo. Um, I know one of the ways the three fire signs are differentiated, and I believe this is in Camille's notes as well. And I know it was something I learned very early on in my studies Um, This idea of Aries being like a firecracker, being a cardinal fire sign, Sagittarius being the mutable fire sign um, and like to a wildfire or like fire that spreads, and Leo being like a bonfire or a hearth fire. Um, So there's this idea, again, of centrality, of fixidity. Um, but when you, th- I think about Saturn and Aquarius, like being on the very edge of where the light reaches, if you're thinking about like a bonfire at night in a field or something like that, um, and all the shadow that's also created by all that light, um, it's kind of harkening back to these ideas of arrogance or hubris or some of those shadow things we discussed with Leo. Um, mm. but Hub- hubris is a good keyword. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. seems very regulus related to thinking back to what Nick was saying. Yeah. hmm
0: um, good. Yeah. So I'm glad we're doing this. So we're going to getting into the contrast of the three fire signs and the fiery t- triplicity of the difference between Aries, which is ruled by Mars, and is a cardinal sign. Um, and you said a firecracker, and I like that because a firecracker is something that like, you know, comes in fast out of nowhere, and there's a sudden explosion or sudden fire and a pop and a loud bang, but then it immediately like goes away and it doesn't last. It's not Lasting in some sense, but it can still make a big difference um, in that initial instance in which it explodes or in which there is like an initial explosion in some sense.
2: Yeah. I, I guess the only other one I would sort of throw in for Aries is the idea of lighting a match, you know, which is often used as a sort of metaphor for any kind of like igniting something you know just that that strike and and the sense that you're beginning something with that strike of a match is is an image we use a lot in culture
0: yeah so the person that lights the match and walks away yeah yeah right
1: and you know thinking about aries and leo too uh the thinking back to the beginning of this episode the one upping <laughs> concept <laughs> with leo um i think with fire signs there's kind of a competitive spirit in general or there can be um, but I think more so with Aries being ruled by Mars rather than the sun. Um, and this is, of course, biased because it's through, you know, the, the lens of my personal experience, but I've never been very competitive. I actually really hate competition, um, but it doesn't mean I don't like being the best at things or there's not a sense of striving. Um, but I think we can look at uh, Mars's rulership of Aries versus the sun's rulership of Leo, and we can see kind of a fighting spirit with both. But it can be, we, we really see selfhood and authenticity anchored with Leo to where it's like, I want to be my best self. I want to be better than I was yesterday or, or what have you versus I want to be better than you. Or like I've singled you out or like targeted you as my opponent, which is a very kind of martial quality and feels even more cardinal as well. uh, Contrasting those two fire signs. So that's something to think about.
0: One of the phrases that goes to what you're saying with Leo here, I think, is um, when we say that that person has heart, or they're like, you, you've, got, you've got a heart, kid, you know, like that phrase, like what I think that's a very Leo type phrase in terms of what you're describing here. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like yeah. Everything, I, everything you do, you do with your sort of fullest, you know, every fiber of your being, so to speak. That's a. Yeah. Yeah. All in, all in.
1: Say it with your chest is another yeah. like very Leo way of, of behaving.
2: As I've explained to friends at times or in my apologies, anything I do, I overdo
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, um and, and courage as another good one then mm. is is like sort of related to that in terms of having heart or something like that versus, yeah, more of a a combative uh, impulse, like the impulse to win over somebody else that comes with with Mars and Aries to some extent. Okay. Um, so and then what is the contrast? So so we're contrasting that short like lighting the match or lighting the bomb and then walking away with Aries with the fixed fireiness of Leo and using that metaphor more of like a bonfire, which is something that um, you know you light it. It might take a while to like start. Like fixed signs are notoriously slow to get going. They have a hard time initiating things, but once started. Um, they sort of stay in place and they have this sense of stability and permanence and, and something that lasts for quite a while, um, which can sometimes mean they can be kind of fixed in their ways or have a, a resistance to change in some sense. Um, can be another fixed sign quality that we saw, especially in Taurus. It was major in Taurus, but that can kind of be a Leo thing as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and you know, thinking about like the bonfire analogy too, um, I I think about how you know it may take a while to get started, but like once that thing's going, like good luck getting the embers to go out for days and days, even if it's not roaring anymore. Um, but there's also this idea of the fire needing to be fed, um, and I think we see that with this desire for recognition and sometimes mm-hmm. validation with Leo. This to idea keep that like the fire going mm-hmm, to keep the fire going, it needs fuel. Um, and with Sagittarius, if we're sticking with these like very literal fire analogies, uh, the fire just moves. The fire just finds fuel and explores. And there's very there's this very mutable, exploratory kind of quality with Sagittarius that is different than Leo. Like Leo would rather provide the warmth and draw things to it rather than go outward and seek. Um, because change can be very uncomfortable for fixed signs. Uh, even the fixed fire signs can confirm. Um, love to have Uranus squaring all my Leo <laughs> planets right now. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's another kind of contrast I think about with these fire signs: is the the outward moving, very very uh, variety and option oriented feeling of Sagittarius as a fire sign. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no,
0: that's,
2: that's very well put. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and fire rises upwards. Like that's one of its qualities in, in ancient cosmology, that, that fire was said to rise up to the highest position in the cosmos. And so you get the, that quality with all the fire signs, but in, in particular Leo, of just like wanting to rise to the top of something or be at the top of something. Um, so with Sagittarius being Jupiter ruled, um, there is, though, much more of an expansive, maybe far seeing or far reaching quality. Um, that comes with that as a contrast, maybe a little bit more compared to Leo.
2: Yeah, the, I mean, Jupiter's supposed to be sort of infinite, really. It's, it's you
0: know, um, takes a Saturn transit to stop it. You know, otherwise, <laughs> it just keeps going. <laughs> right. Uh, well, that's funny because Saturn, Saturn transits don't affect Leos, is what I've heard. Um, that's, wait, not you- <laughs> well, that's not true. No, no, it's are not, you a, it's not a, Are you kidding well, me? Are you kidding me? That's what's funny is actually, I think Saturn transits may be the hardest for Leos because one of the things that Saturn brings yeah. is age and time and the notion that. And the, humility. And you you humility, know, yeah, it's yeah.
2: suddenly not about you.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or that you are like a fixed or a fin- fin- finite resource or. Um, yeah, and sometimes that ties into some of the other things with like like vanity and things like that, like age and being a limiting and a humbling factor, um, but also something that can change so that you're not always going to be the notion that you might not always be as good as you were earlier, and some of that longingness for the youthful quality when the fire was still like burning at its brightest or something like that, that is is something that's interesting sometimes with Leos and Saturn transits it's it's so unambiguous in my life that
2: um the worst times were when Saturn was in Leo and they initiated, you know, sort of l- longer term bad times, and that the greatest times of my life have been Saturn and Aquarius. In fact, I'm personally uh, campaigning for Saturn to never leave Aquarius
0: ever. Just stay there, <laughs> oh my God, Just stay, no. Stop moving.
1: I, so I'd like down. a small break, a small break
0: please <laughs> small break we've got just until march march saturn goes into pisces and i'm throwing no. a big big party no. yeah yeah
2: Ugh.
0: um yeah. so okay that's good is there anything else we should say about the contrast between those two fire signs of of saturn or, or of, sorry of leo and Sagittarius or even of all of the fire signs that this really brings up to help us clarify some of the meanings of of leo uh, i think
2: Joe did it beautifully. I, I don't have much to add. I mean, I you know I can only think of more sort of like personal examples, but I think she just you know she she nailed it. There's no need to.
0: Can you think of any uh, chart examples of people that have like let's say Leo and Sagittarius placements? I'm
2: trying well, to think I think of team, like room. like one of like the great sort of team of Leo and Sagittarius that I think of is Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, who are you know like they really complete each other. Mick Jagger being the Leo, just, you know, the Mr. sort of show off rock star extraordinaire. And then Keith Richards being this sort of, you know, almost mystical figure. I mean, you know, the biggest meme in the world is the fact that he's like so, so old, but just keeps going, right? I mean, those are all those jokes. You see, there's like a picture of him right. teaching a little boy guitar and it's like this is Keith Richards teaching Willie Nelson how to play guitar jokes like that. There's all these <laughs> there's uh, another one I saw like a picture of rock stars when they were kids and it's like you know Janice Joplin, Jim Morrison, whoever, and they're all really little kids. And then there's a picture of Keith Richards and he's like
0: he is today. You know, so it's like um that's yeah, like that's like the forever young or like forever uh, for, yeah, youthful, exactly. But there, also there like was, really grasping onto the youth in some ways and, and not letting it go.
2: Well yeah, there was even a politician, I forget who, who died about 10 years ago and the the dying words of this man was I can't believe Keith Richards is going to outlive me. <laughs> like, imagine those are your last words on earth. Um but yeah, that's sort of, you know, um he does seem to have this sort of, you know, mystical streak in him. It's it's strange. Um and and yeah, just his his sort of you know his approach to music, his um, uh, you know his his counterbalance to the the Mick Jagger, you know the way they sort of form this unit, I think really embodies that Leo Sagittarius
0: uh, teamwork very well. Yeah, um, it brings Leo Sagittarius combinations bring an optimism as well. I think that really helps out like a boundless sort of optimism and. uh yeah, because I, I was talking like a Sagittarius rising recently, and they were very much like um, into partially like the power of positive thinking and and like the positive thinking of saying like yes to things and and thinking optimistically, actually having an impact in like changing things and leading to better outcomes than the more Saturnian approach of of thinking about the worst case scenario or thinking about how things could fall apart or something like that. Very yeah. true.
1: I can't think of any kind of like celebrity Leo Sagittarius kind of sinistry examples, but I will say, like as a Leo with Leo Rising, there's nothing like that fire sinistry like Sag mm. risings or Sag cool. Moon or or even Aries placements. Like there's something um so dynamic about that kind of synastry, where it can just kind of build on itself, and we can feed off each other. And um, yeah. it's it's some of the most fun I've had. I've been like at astrology conferences with like my fire synastry buddies. So there's something pretty magical about it.
2: Yeah, I, I would attest in in life. You know, so many of the 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 spe- those special friendships. Yeah, yeah, for
0: sure. Oh, and one of the ones that's really funny, like that, actually, is is actually Donald Trump, who. That that wasn't there a phrase at one point of just like constantly winning or of that because like the <laughs> power the power of like positive thinking it is actually a really core thing for him that runs in his family of uh that you like you have to be like constantly winning, and, and being a winner is like super important. And he has that combination of the the Leo rising and Mars and Leo, but also a full moon eclipse in Sagittarius at the same time. So he has a bit of that energy we're focusing on that like manifesting the optimism of the positive thinking and sometimes just running purely on that is part of the 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 program I guess. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Um, for I mean for better for better or worse. Uh, so all right. So that's pretty good with the fire signs. Um, what are some of the other contrasts are the modalities. Yeah the fixed thing is, is a big one. Yeah, so so contrasting the four fixed signs, uh, which are uh, Taurus. Let me make sure to share this. Uh, four fixed signs are Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and Aquarius. So we've talked already a lot about Leo and Aquarius. We've talked a little bit about Taurus, but maybe that's one we could spend a little bit more time on. Um, since Leo is like the second fixed sign, and we were first introduced to the fixed energy with uh, Taurus, and arguably, I think Taurus is like the most fixed of the fixed signs because it's not just a fixed sign, but it's also an Earth sign, and Earth um, tends to fall uh, down in the ancient like cosmological scheme. The element of Earth falls down to the very bottom of the cosmos where it rests and sort of stays fixed in place in some sense as opposed to like water that moves around a bit on top of earth or air that moves around more or fire that rises like all the way up to the top of the cosmos. Yeah, so- er- earth has a density
2: to it, you know, and you just sort of you think of Taurus has having a density to it that um
0: is not quite equaled by the other fixed signs. Mm-hmm. So Leo, by contrast, is a little bit less fixed because it's fire. It's like a fiery sign, so it has a little bit more flexibility to some extent. But um, I think they do share some things in common in terms of like uh, routines potentially, or once they find something that they like, potentially, that they like really like that thing, perhaps, or having very defined likes and dislikes might be something that that Taurus and Leo share in common. Yeah,
2: it's hard for me to—I have a Taurus moon, so it's sometimes hard for me to sort of split that nut down the middle, if you will. Um, but I'm definitely very particular in my taste, whether it's my Taurus moon or my Leo stellium.
0: Yeah, being particular yeah. in their tastes, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, I think about fixed signs with the concept of like— um, The phrase, as long as I have X, I'll be okay. Or something, this idea of like, (laughs) as long as this doesn't change, like I've got this down, like I'll be fine. And with Taurus being an earth sign, I think about this focus on the material or physical world. So it's like, as long as I have um, a roof over my head or like this material security or like my creature comforts, you know, what have you, I'll be okay. And with Leo... my sensual
0: pleasures. I'm sorry. I just wanted yes. to interject. My sensual <laughs> yeah. pleasures. Yeah. Sensual or exactly. like sen- sensible things. Sensible sensible things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That very sense-based, um, like food. kind of stuff. Yeah. Like food. Uh, right. Like Food or your your cozy your cozy blanket. Or even just the the,
2: the 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 feeling of fabric or the feeling of mm-hmm. skin. You know, it's it's yeah. It's all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And with Leo, I think about um, the element of fire and how it's related to spirit, you know, rising the highest. And with Leo, I suppose the phrase might be something like, as long as I have myself, I'll be okay. Or like, I'll be okay. As long as I know who I am and I can stay true to that. Um, there can as be long kind as I of, have my friends. Right, right. And like, and who are your friends, but people who can see you who as for who you really are and really understand you and like feed that fire. Um, and I suppose we could do that with all the fixed signs, but, but there is something, and I think this was in Camille's notes as well. And I really liked this. Um, the thing that the fixed fire sign wants to keep fixed or maintain is identity. Um, which we're, we kind of back where we started with these sun words and these Leo words. But, um, it's, there's this idea that as long as you can be true to yourself, like you can make it through anything versus like, as long as I have like, my stuff, or like the stuff I like or need. I have my needs met with that Earth fixed Earth sign with Taurus.
0: Um, yeah, I was gonna. I was thinking of the phrase "as long as I have my makeup for Leo" would be like a good Leo. But <laughs> that, that's that's. Thing. Yeah. That was that was the first um, thing that came to mind because, but that's part of you know sometimes people's sense of identity and like presentation and things like that. Or are there other ver- versions of that? Like, as long as I have my ex fabulousness, for, yeah, my fabulousness, <laughs> my um sense of style, like my, you know, uh presentation, as long as or an artist maybe might say, as long as I can do my art, as long as I can, you know, continue doing my painting or what have you, then then whatever.
1: Right. That outlet for expression. Um it's interesting that you bring up makeup though, because uh, you know, the, the me being a cringy Leo, um I did beauty blogging for a while. Um and for me it was kind of like a creative outlet with just like kind of using like myself as a canvas. Um, but the whole reason I got into it is because I wanted to kind of teach people how to use makeup because there's this idea of makeup kind of augmenting, um, the way you look or giving you, giving you the opportunity to, um, curate what you look like outwardly to match how you feel inwardly. And I was really interested in how I could help to give people the tools to do that or make it seem more accessible if it seemed complicated. Um, And I eventually stopped. It was, it was like right when Instagram influencer culture was getting big and I just like wasn't interested in any of that. I wanted to make tutorials, but um, that's, you brought up makeup and I thought about that as even a way to um, curate the appearance as a form of creative expression and as a way to uh, potentially Really boost that authenticity and have a feeling of coherence between inner and outer, and what is shared or what is performed.
2: I I think there's 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 a blanket statement I can take from what both of you are saying is I think you know it, there, there's there's a value in one's own good taste, which has to do with the the self presentation, but like indeed like you know if if it's the makeup, it's like you know your Your presentation has value, or if you're an artist, like Chris was saying, it's like your what you're contributing to art has this value is good. Um, So yeah, there's this just sort of larger tent over all of this, which is you know the value of this again this the sort of the solar choices, you know, Um, you know like my decision to match Joe in in outfit today, that kind of thing, you know. I
0: mean I wore a different I, d- I wore a different shirt today too. Uh, I'm wearing a gray shirt today if if anybody did not notice. I thought thought I'd get a little wild and get a little flamboyant for up. this episode. Otherwise I mean, yeah. known as the Scorpio uniform. Yeah. We yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to black for the next 300 episodes, but I thought I would do something special today. All right. Prady well, thanks Chris. for lightening up the Leo episode, Chris. We Thank you. I do. I do what I can. Um, <laughs> having zero planets and Leo, just my descendants. So I, <laughs> I import I import Leo's into my life to play that out. So I have both of you wearing the red uh, t-shirts today. Yeah. Um, so I like what you're saying, Joe. So when I was writing down. so the ability to curate and to shape one's presentation um, as being an important part of Leo. Um, yeah, that seems uh, really central or really critical here because it touches on a few things that we've gone through during the course of this discussion yeah um all right, so that's Taurus is there anything else with Taurus versus Leo contrast that are either uh, sort of like similarities or contrast between the two of them Taurus being a uh, you know it's more you know Taurus was more about we were talking about like sensual or physical pleasures like like food or comforts or um, things of enjoyment and things like that and we get some of that with Leo of, of things of enjoyment but having enjoyment more through. Expression and through cr- the process of creation and things like that, um, it seems like, and through through emitting something into the world.
1: I feel like there could be kind of a connection, like a glamour and luxury thing, with both Taurus and Leo. Um, and I thought about this when I was writing uh, Moon sign compatibility for the Cusp app last year, because um, you know, a, Taurus is a Venusian sign, and there is this this idea uh, around luxury and you know, beauty and even glamour. Uh, But it gets more, it gets filtered through more of like a, again, like a performative or expressive lens with Leo versus like an experiential lens with Taurus. And I think we see fire and earth there as well, with fire being something that illuminates or lights up or shines out and Taurus being something that is really experienced through the senses. But I do think we can see kind of a, a resonance there with those things.
0: Yeah, of a focus on like aesthetics and aesthetics Mm -hmm. qualities being important. Right. All right. So that's Taurus and Leo. And then um, moving on to the last one, we haven't talked about too much aside from some jokes, which was Leo and Scorpio as both fixed signs. Uh, Leo is a a fixed fire sign. Scorpio, on the other hand, is a fixed water sign. Um, So, what are some of the contrasts then that come up? A fixed water sign that's ruled by Mars, so it's a Marsy sign, but it's like the um, more internalized version of the two Mars signs compared to Aries, which is the other, which is like the extroverted Mars sign. Scorpio is like the introverted Mars sign.
2: Yeah, this is a this is a tough one. I mean, out of out of the four, like I can see Leo, Aquarius. That that that's easy, and and yeah, everything Joe was just saying about Leo and Taurus. Um, Really stands up, but um, Scorpio's a little stranger, isn't it?
0: Um, yeah, so it's like f- fixed water. One of the best ones I heard. Ice, I don't know where I, or- yeah, <laughs> ice. The ice cube. Like I've never, yeah. heard, uh, you know, there's a great analogy for water. I don't know where I first heard that, but you, you know what happens? Imp- to ice cubes next to bonfires. <laughs> um, I don't. You put them in a nice drink, and then it, it becomes a fun—that's
2: <laughs> right—relaxing yes. party or something, yes. yeah. sure.
1: Yeah, just yeah. just a cocktail.
2: That's what Scorpios are good for, keeping the iced tea nice and chill.
0: <laughs> no, well, that's a really that's good point. Idea. Is that the the Leos I'm are dead. good? for I'm a for dead man. <laughs> warming up, warming up the ice cube, I think, because Leo can drag out a more introverted sign like a you know like a, a Scorpio or even a Taurus to some extent that might want to like just like stay home and relax. Like Leo is the one that might want to drag out their friends in order to be more social or have fun or to build. Connections and sort of warm things up, and that's part of the contrast that um, makes them get along. Even though there's a, there's a necessary, a natural tension there, but through that tension, it creates something that's kind of like productive.
2: I, I think one one thing that remind that that I think both Scorpios and Leos share is that going back to that sense of loyalty. There's 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 this. Um, you know this. This particularized. You know, you you got to be loyal to this. There's 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 a stand to take. You know, you're either on my team or you're not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I'm really is, glad. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, no, no. I I, I mean that this is just sort of I'm I'm thinking out loud here. Go ahead. We're, we're, oh,
1: I was just going to say I'm really glad you brought that up because that was the very next thing I was going to bring <laughs> okay. up. As far as as far as uh, commonalities, there's this idea of of yeah, this loyalty. And, um, because Scorpio, you know, being a water sign, it is a little bit more introverted rather than like expressive or outward moving. So there's this idea of privacy. Um, and there's also this idea of like an inner circle and, you know, like if I have your back, you better have my back. And there's more of like a martial tone to it. Um, but yeah, all that to say, like, I I totally agree with you, Nick. Very well said.
0: What you're talking about, it makes me think of like the king or the president versus like their assassin or their spies, that they that they send out, and the need for like the the, the loyalty and the trust component. But um, yeah, but that also that Marsy component for for Scorpio.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we compared a little bit of Aries and Leo and this kind of like very forthright competitive Aries nature versus this, I want to be better than my past self kind of idea with Leo. And we have another Mars ruled sign traditionally with Scorpio, um, but it's much more strategic. And so there, I think is also this commonality between them or this resonance with this drive that's very like comes from a very deep place. Um, Whereas Scorpio... Might not be quite as uh, forthright about it compared to a fire sign, but there's this like deep drive. Um, and I think about Scorpio too as if we're if we were going to use the little ad lib, as long as I have X, I'll be okay with Scorpio. I feel like it's like as long as I have control, I'll be okay because <laughs> it is it is a water sign, um, and there is this kind of feeling of needing to protect the emotional well being and safety. Um, but with Mars in charge, it's like okay, I gotta have all my shit on lock, <laughs> and like I have to like keep all of it locked down and keep it just like this, so I can feel okay. Um, so that's something I think about too.
2: Yeah, I, I I do think I think Leo wants control, like for control. I think Scorpio wants control for security. There's there's a real like you know, there's more of a there's more of a motivation for wanting control with Scorpio as opposed to Leo just. Wants control. That's it. <laughs> like, right. like for its own sake, you know. Leo uh, wants to
0: like lead and sort of be in charge and be at the forefront or the head of things, whereas Scorpio wants to protect itself and like. And make uh, sure st- no one else can sort of overcome it, you know? Yeah. yeah. To, to ward off like enemies or threats or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to think of like people with a Scorpio Leo contrast. Uh, one of the ones that always comes to mind, even though. We don't know her birth time famously, and there's multiple birth times, but Hillary Clinton has the Sun and Venus and Mercury in the South Node in Scorpio, and then Saturn and Pluto and Mars in Leo. Um, so that's an interesting example of that. I think there's like others that were born around her time frame, but I forget who they were at the moment. Do you remember Austin that have that same like contrast? Austin? My God, how dare you.
2: Did you oh, just sorry. call me
0: Austin? Did I? <laughs> sorry. Uh, it, it's been like let me get my, me get my tobacco
2: a second. Hold on, um, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um, am I wrong? Is Prince Charles not born the same time as as Hillary Clinton? I think so.
0: Um, no, you're right. He's like a Leo rising with Sun and Scorpio. Yeah, he's a, he's definitely a Scorpio. I'm thinking he's a 47
2: Scorpio or is he a 48 Scorpio? I might be wrong there. He might be a 48 Scorpio. I'm, I'm drawing a blank for some reason. I think I should, yeah. I think the queen got married in forty-seven. Then he was born in forty-eight. On, quick on the draw yeah, yeah. He's forty-eight. I'm sorry. I'm fire. sorry. 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 Um, so I was Leo confusing
0: rising, son in Scorpio.
2: Yeah, I was confusing his birth with the the queen's wedding, which was a year earlier. So, um, you know, thankfully Britain can sleep safe knowing their queen was a virgin until she got married. But um, other than that. Um, uh, yeah he is still a Scorpio with the Leo rising which is funny like it's um he reminds me of another Scorpio uh, uh, royal British royal which was um, King Edward the uh, uh, seventh seventh um,
0: everybody knows about King Edward well, the seventh, he, was, he was
2: he was the son of Queen Victoria so like Charles he went into old age and he's got one job which is to replace his mother who never dies you know like queen victoria also lived very very old um and so you just have this life of like um yeah waiting to be king and it never sort of you know happened i mean it, w- with edward it did happen but he was past his 60s and he was already in ill health i, I don't know it's just that that sort of uh, um Like not being king, but but waiting and expect you know literally spending a lifetime waiting to, like
0: do your job. You know that's really funny. Well, yeah, okay. So and that's obviously that's Charles as well. And I always use him as an example of somebody with the ruler of the ascendant in the fourth house. In his instance, it's Leo rising with the sun ruling the ascendant and Scorpio in the fourth house. And he's literally that's the only thing he's doing. But certainly a big part of his biography is is you know kind that his. He, he was going to become king once his mother died but then his mother has now become like the longest reigning monarch in like world history so um that is a central thing in his biography and, and where he could get to the point to this point where it's possible that he she could outlive him in which case he would never become king um, which is kind of an interesting dynamic it's a little interesting you bring out that contrast which I had never thought about before um you know of course with with Hillary Clinton we had an instance where it was kind of like she was, waiting to become president or sort of like right. on the track yeah, to yeah, become yeah, no, president. That's that's, for that's
2: a great that's a great point. Uh, yeah many, she is she's the Prince Charles of, of the USA.
0: <laughs> yeah, but then it never never quite happened. And um yeah, but you know, we don't know her birth time. one of the versions was Scorpio rising with um the Leo stuff up in the tenth house, which is an interesting sort of inversion of the Prince Charles thing. But yeah. So um all right, so that's pretty good. Are there any other things? So, so Scorpio is more emotional. One of the interesting contrasts with both Scorpio and Aquarius versus Leo, they're both ruled by malefics, by either like Mars or Saturn, and a tendency more for like the darker or more like goth or even like emo type tendencies with Scorpio and Aquarius versus Leo. Kind of like looks at that with a little bit of I don't want to say disdain, but a little bit of like bewilderment in terms of the the focus sometimes on like the darker. You, side you of You need life. a little color in that,
2: honey. You need you need some orange to go with all that black and.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, need need to like l- l- lighten up a little bit. I think yeah. Le- Leo might say. Yeah. You know. Right. Yeah, so that's an interesting contrast there between those two as well, compared to Leah That Leo has a more. Um, a lighter, uh, not just aesthetic, both both visually but also mentally in some sense. If we're you know, Leo's can do Goth, but it's all cosplay. Like
2: it's just like you know, <laughs> it's a night out and, and then we go back to our
0: shiny selves. Yeah, that's what that's basically what Halloween is, essentially. It's like one day a year. Um, all right, So that's the contrast with the uh, quadruplicities, the modalities. Um, are there any other contrasts that might be worth doing? There's just a few other signs that we haven't talked about. We talked about the similarities between the youthfulness to some extent between Gemini and, and Leo. Um, Libra and Leo is one we haven't talked about, which is the other sextile. So Gemini is a sextile from Leo, and then Libra is the other sextile from Leo. And a similar focus, I want to say, on on things like aesthetics or Fashion. Like somebody recently asked me to do an episode on like astrology and fashion. And I don't actually know anybody that specializes in that offhand. So I couldn't say I could do that right away. But um, I, I think I might know an astrologer who used to do um, beauty blogging. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that could be it. But I, I think of the Leo and, um, Libra, sort of dynamic, as being very much more aesthetically focused uh, as a pair of signs.
2: Yeah, and also people-focused. I think like Gemini, Libra, Leo, unlike any of the other signs that come to mind, have a real sort of like like there have to be other people. Like Leo needs an audience, Gemini needs someone to talk to, and Libra needs someone to look at. You know, it's sort of. It's it's more of an imperative with those three signs than uh, any of the others that come to mind.
1: Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, one thing I think about a lot is how with Libra rising charts, the uh, with whole sign houses at least, Leo is placed in the 11th. And there's this idea of uh, the the house that the sun rules in a chart being somehow central to selfhood and that kind of stuff or the self-realization process. And so with Libra rising, with Libra being so prominent, like the house of groups and uh, social dynamics and peers um, and allies is really highlighted. And then with Leo rising charts, we have Libra in the third. So there's this there's this other house that is um, sometimes other people related when it comes to like siblings, neighbors, people who feel like siblings, and just this idea of, yeah, community and this idea of expression or speaking, um, communicating, those kinds of things. So there's there's this real strong like air fire um, social connection uh, that I think those two signs have.
0: I'm like quickly trying to like search through my Libra rising examples for for something to connect to what you're saying. And one of the funny ones I just found was was a famous Libra rising with Saturn and Leo was uh, Hitler actually. Uh, so that's a
1: just super con- social, you know, together. Yeah,
0: thing. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so there's that. Do you got, do either of you have any uh, Libra rising with Leo placements that come to mind thinking about that? Bill
2: I mean, Clinton.
0: Yeah, Bill Clinton yeah. Was, was major. That's where his two stelliums that, that, I are. I mean,
2: he's that's that's your, your poster
0: boy right there for yeah. those two signs. Um, Let me find his chart. Could you expand on that while I'm looking for his chart? Sure. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's a Libra rising. He's got what
2: Mars and Neptune on the Ascendant. Venus and uh, the Venus there too, yeah. Venus yeah. there too, and yep. Jupiter, yep. and you know. Jupiter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, you should get him on for your Libra episode, Chris.
0: Okay. Yeah <laughs> the the Libra episode. I'm sure the schedule episode. is
2: wide open. Yeah. Um, uh,
0: but yeah, he's 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 quite the classic. And how does does that connect again? Just refresh me on on what Joe you were just saying.
1: Um, This idea of the 11th house being really highlighted by the sun's rulership of the 11th house in Libra rising charts, Um, and with Bill Clinton's chart especially, you have, you know, the sun in Leo as the ruler of the 11th, you have Venus in Libra as ruler of the first, so you have these really, really strong signatures with both, and then we see someone who is extremely charismatic, like the, the cool candidate, as you were saying, Nick. Um, just, a all around really likable person, like, uh, kind of giving off a feeling of being a very trustable person in some ways. Um, but yeah, those, those signatures highlighted in those places, uh, is kind of speaks to some things I was talking about.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, so that's pretty good for, uh, filling that out for, Leo and Libra, only other two signs we haven't talked about at all in this episode, and they're Capricorn sign- and Pisces. Yeah, the signs that are in aversion to Leo, two of the other signs that are in aversion besides Cancer and Virgo, which are a little bit more connected because those are the signs that immediately like precede or follow after Leo. Um, but with Capricorn and Pisces, we get ones that just have no aspect and that don't share any of the basic same qualities um, because uh, for example, Leo is a fixed fire sign ruled by the Sun and it's a masculine sign or diurnal sign, whereas Capricorn is a cardinal Earth feminine or slash nocturnal sign or Pisces is a mutable water feminine slash diurnal or nocturnal sign. So um, yeah, how does Leo relate or not relate i guess primarily not relate to or what are the incongruities between leo and capricorn
2: well they you know i mean what we were saying earlier about control with leo and scorpio um and and i pointed out like scorpio has a motivation of of security whereas leo just has its own motivation for wanting the the power to wanting to be in charge capricorn has some of that too capricorn does want power but it wants to sort of Leo just presumes it, but with Capricorn, it's always about the battle. It's not about being on top of the mountain. It's about climbing the mountain to get to the top. Uh, but but there is that still sort of the 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 end uh, you know goal is is quite similar. You know, it's just sort of the the means by which one sort of assumes that power and and what that power sort of means. You know. Um, a Leo might be a monarch, an all-ruling dictator. A uh, Capricorn is is sort of more of a president or a prime minister, someone who's uh, in charge, but it's less sort of for show and more for like to to actually run things. You know, like like actually sort of have things in operation and be in control of that of their functionality.
1: Yeah. Um- When you were speaking, I was thinking of this idea of like self-sovereignty and being beholden to um, only to oneself, and that's a very kind of Leo idea, a very solar idea. And when I think of Capricorn, I think of um, sort of a feeling of obligation or responsibility or duty to like a pre-existing structure that has perhaps, um, proved its usefulness by its longevity, um, or has just outlived its usefulness. It could really go either way. Um, but I think there's kind of that disconnect there where it's like, well, I'm responsible to this structure or thing or way of doing things because that's the tradition or that's the way it is. And then there's like this, um, creative self-directed, Impulse with Leo where it's like, no, I do it my way because like I am entitled to, to do that because I'm self-sovereign. I am like my own, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the noble in my own kingdom, that type of idea. So I think there's kind of right. that disconnect.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I've always um, talked about Uranus uh, when it when it travels through a sign, when it transits through a sign, that it it perverts the values associated with that sign. And the last time Uranus was in Capricorn at the very end of the '80s and in the early '90s, um, the the big sort of uh, uh, the, like pop culture was sort of taken over by the lower order, if you will. Um, you know, MTV was subverted suddenly, like. Uh, um, the buzzword for culture in those days was DIY. It was literally uncool for a musician to be on a corporate la- label, which is like, like you're saying, that's what Capricorn typically would want. Like, of course, you would want to be on a Capricorn label, but Uranus goes into Capricorn, and so you know, suddenly the whole thing is is you know, things are supposed to be sort of homemade and deliberately unprofessional, and and uh, um, you know that yes, yeah, without the gloss of sort of. um uh, you know, officially sort of produced material. And I think that's, the, yeah, that's, that speaks to what you're talking about, Joe. Like the, that, that thing that Capricorn wants is the, you know, the, the facade. It's a different facade than Leo, but I think they both have a, a, a need for a facade of some way. You know, Leo, Leo's might be more sort of genuine in what it's, even when it is a facade. But uh,
0: with Capricorn, that's, um, an issue as well. One of the things that the Capricorn uh, versus Leo um, aversion makes me think of is I was watching this like interview recently with uh, this billionaire Kevin O'Leary, who was like one of the guys that became famous from like The Shark Tank. Did you guys yeah, ever yeah. watch that show? Yeah, and I think he's was Canadian. Talk- I've seen him remember. Yeah, yeah, he was born in Montreal, so um, where you're from. So he was telling this story about how when he grew up. Um, he, his mother like helped him get through college, and then like the day he graduated, she was like, "I have a present for you." And um, he was like, "What is it?" And he, she's like, "You're cut off now that you're graduated. You're no longer my, you're no longer my um, like problem. And you have to learn how to swim and figure out how to get by on your own. And, and all financial support is cut off." and that she said it, uh, she had a he had a, fray, a specific phrase or she had a specific phrase where she said something like the dead bird under the nest never learns how to fly and um so he later thanks you know, mom yeah thanks <laughs> it's very like capricorn thing and so he later eventually after struggling a little bit um you know got into business and became successful and became like a billionaire became like wildly successful climbing up the like corporate Ladder, um, and then he had a family, and then he decided when his kids were like three or four that he was going to do the same thing, and so he created a. He told this story about how he was going to create. He created a trust for them when he, they were three or four, that would ensure that they were taken care of if something happened to them, if he and his wife like died or passed away before they um, finished college, but that as soon as they turned like 25 or something the trust would no longer give any money and all financial support would be cut off and so he told this story about how one day his his son was like in college and or was in high school and he was kind of like not doing very well and he was fucking around and his son came to him one day and said all my friends are going to get their trusts when i'm when they're like 20 or something like that so when does mine you know mature when do i receive it and he said, "Well, actually, um, if you never go to college, like you, you get no money. So you're going to be cut off financially in just a few years here." And then his son really was shaken up by that, and like turned his life around, and then went to college, and then eventually became successful, and is now working at like Tesla or something like that. So there's there's just something about that story um, that reminds me of the Capricorn Leo dynamic, because one of the things about Leo is it sometimes makes me think of like. Inheritance and like lineage and like inheriting um, from a lineage or having like a famous background or like a wealthy background or something like that. And sometimes people or kids that grow up within that context of like having wealthy or famous parents or something like that and them inheriting like a little bit of that in some way or having it passed on to them in some sense through that fixity of the sign versus Capricorn is much more like. Self determined and like has to climb the ladder, has to do things the hard way, um, and sometimes has to fall and then like get back up and things like that and suffer hardship in order to persevere and eventually become stronger. Um, and, and yeah, so it m- makes me think about that dynamic because it is not a comfortable dynamic at all between those two signs. But and it could also, you know, end spectacularly in failure. There's some scenario or version of that story where it doesn't go well, but in that instance it went well. Um, So sometimes it can still be productive, even if it's not um, easy or even if it's harsh.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of what you were saying, Chris, about like this idea of the power of positive thinking. And with Capricorn, it's like the power of like hard work or like putting in the hours or the grind or something like that, like the elbow grease.
0: Yeah, or, or the power of fear, the power of like fearing <laughs> poverty and like abject failure or, or dying or something due to lack of material support and sustenance, and that that can kind of motivate you a little bit to get your, your stuff together sometimes. Yeah. And um, I,
2: I, can, I can attest to someone married to a Capricorn, I've never seen a harder working human being in my life. It's insane.
0: Um, right. Anyway. So it's interesting, though, that being a motivating factor versus for Leo, maybe like fame or recognition being like a motivating factor, or let's say um, being recognized for one's inherent uh, traits, when it yeah. one's inherent positive traits that the, the the Leo wants to be able to shine, but to be recognized and be sort of pointed out as like you're notable and you're special for something for mm-hmm. for this basically, right?
1: And to be remembered and to leave a legacy, you know, Um, you mentioned the lineage and things like that. I think, um, and even in my client work, I've, uh, particularly with 12th house work, but um, a lot of Leo kinds of deep questions are like, what kind of legacy will I leave? Like, what will I leave behind? How will I be remembered? Um, And it's like, that becomes the lineage that like other, other people kind of rise out of and things like that. So.
0: I love that fixed fire and the, the legacy of passing on a flame or a torch that is never extinguished. Mm. It's like the Olympic
2: torch kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. So family legacies and then with Leo, you know, family legacies can sometimes be like a positive thing. There can be like positive versions of that, or there can be like, you know, negative versions of that as well, where there's like bad things passed on as part of that family lineage or family legacy. Oh, sure. Um, all right, the very last contrast um, that we haven't done yet is Leo versus Pisces. Um, how, so, so Pisces is a, a water sign, mutable and feminine or uh, nocturnal. Uh, what are some of the keywords that come up for, for either of you when we're thinking about, especially the incongruities between those two signs? Um, Pisces is very flexible, like probably the most flexible, I would say, of the mutable signs. Which are themselves already flexible because it's like a, a, a mutable water sign and water itself conforms to like whatever conforms to its surroundings, basically.
2: Yeah, born to change as opposed to fixed signs, which are born to never change.
0: You know?
1: Yeah. Uh, with Pisces, I often think about this idea of feeling the inherent connection between everything, the coherence um, and the interconnection, uh, the sort of manifestation of. Jupiter ruling a water sign, a mutable water sign, and um, that that really displaces this whole big uh, big deal placed on selfhood and things. When it's like, oh, we are all one, and you are me, and I am you. Leo's like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Where are the boundaries? <laughs> if, if that's true. How are
2: how how am I going to be worshipped? What that? Worth?
1: Right, right. There can be kind of a feeling of like um, I, I think when when Leo kind of loses touch with that, I with that certainty about who they are, um, it can feel, feel very like lost at sea. So I feel like Pisces can feel kind of like an environment that is very adrift and devoid of reference points to Leo placements. Um, and, you know, I, again, my Leo rising bias, but uh, Pisces in general is in kind of an eighth house relationship to Leo. Um, and I think about that a lot in terms of, The idea of the eighth house having sometimes something to do with those those really deep, vulnerable, intimate parts of relationships, like trustful relationships where um, there is betrayal possible, there's fear and paranoia around that, all these eighth house things. And so I think that there can be kind of um, a, a fear around this Pisces idea of so much connection, so much interconnection because it's one thing for people to see you for who you are or for or to be perceived if you are in the spotlight somehow or in a position of leadership, but it's another to like really share that vulnerable, intimate space with someone. Um, and I think that can bring up, again, just some of that fear, anxiety, or doubt with Leo. Like if someone sees the whole of me, like what are they going to see? And like, will they accept it? So the the connective qualities I feel can be kind of like tough. For Leo, or feel a little sticky, where there's 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 not enough boundary or like separation or distinction, I think is a better word.
0: I think Leo has a workaround for that though, which is developing like a messianic complex, um, where uh and I was looking up a definition really quickly, and it says a messiah complex. Uh, alternatively, a Christ complex or a savior complex is a state of mind in which an individual holds a belief that they are destined to become a savior today or the near future. The term can also refer to a state of mind in which an individual believes that they are responsible for saving or assisting others. So maybe the like boundlessness is and it's connected and it all works out as long as you're like the central one leading that whole thing. Dave, yeah, David 100%. David David Koresh was a Leo. Yeah. Okay. I think I think the distinction who is, is who, who le- is he.
2: David Koresh, he was the, the the oh yeah, you guys are so young. Um, he was the leader of, of this uh, cult in Waco, Texas, called the Branch Davidians, and it was uh, you know it was this compound with lots of adults and kids, a few hundred people, um, and um, the government. This is right when Clinton became president. It's like one of the first things that it was like the it was the Bay of Pigs to like what the Bay of Pigs was to JFK. Uh, the Waco thing was to Bill Clinton, where um, they, yeah, yeah, there well, were we reportedly well, there, there were reports of child abuse and like unregistered weapons, and so uh, government right. troops we, went in. We don't, and, we don't need a whole
0: breakdown of the Waco okay, thing. Sorry, just, he was he that, was a cult he, leader. He
2: was a cult leader, and okay. and wound up burning down his whole sort of or or it, his his thing was burned down, and all his people were killed. But yeah, he was super messianic. What I was what I was trying to say, um, short version. Mm. Leo, Leo's think they're the Messiah. Pisces actually are the Messiah. <laughs> I mean, Jesus was a Pisces. Um, you you we, know, Leo, may, maybe hypothetically, we, he could have been. In the well, in the sense that, like you know, the Pisces is supposed to be this sort of selfless individual. Uh, um, you know, that the, um, Leo Leo could only wish to be. You know what the Pisces actually is. Um, although the Pisces would never do it for the the sort of the Leo motivation to to have the adoration or what have you, um, so no, there, there's 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 a little something in that.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. So because part of his message was things like like feed the poor, give away your money, yeah. things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's always I mean that's this whole you know not not to I I'm sorry I know this is probably the first time in your podcast someone brings up the dreaded phrase age of Aquarius um, but the age of Pisces is the Christian age right I mean that's the whole reason we have these sort of Pisces is often associated with um, the age of Christianity and all that stuff
0: yeah or all this speculation there's been like hundreds of speculative charts but one of the ones historically people have often wondered about was there was a Jupiter Saturn conjunction in Pisces sometimes not long before the Hypothetical historical figure of Jesus may have been born.
2: There's that, but but I mean the the symbol you know the the symbol of the fishes has always been associated with Christianity. Pisces has always had a, a certain affinity with 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 that religion, mm. so I've understood it. Yeah, uh, mind so you, a,
0: what I understand about Christianity is about this much, but I, that's one of the things that's been imparted to me. Yeah, but that's a good contrast then the contrast between like of a of a, a let's say a spiritual leader like that of on the one hand having like a spiritual message or something like that which is pisces of um you know helpfulness and wanting to redeem or somehow raise up people that are in bad shape versus um leo and the in the desire to be the center of something or in the limelight and the tension between those two things because they're kind of like not super compatible, but the way that they can sometimes get reconciled is by having somebody that's at the center of some larger thing like that, which can sometimes go well, other times not so well. If you end up in like a cold type sure. situation,
2: yeah. I mean, Pisces. One word I think of with Pisces is selflessness, and that's just you. You could have the greatest, most generous Leo in the world, but they would never be selfless. You know, like it's. You know, um,
0: there's there's always going to be some like one percent that's like yeah 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 this, a little this, bit of, yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah okay all right well on that note I think we're getting towards the end of this this discussion since we got in a solid two hours I I really hate to say this because I don't want to to go to anyone's head but I feel like this may be the best discussion I've had so far in the series I've really enjoyed this with both of you today. Um, so thank you both for for joining me. This was awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah,
1: thanks for having I us. I guess Chris. I
2: guess you'll have to bring us on for the next um, seven signs.
0: <laughs> right. Well, well, that's what's funny is this is like your fifth episode in a row during Leo season over the past month in a a series, a, a, an era of the podcast that I've dubbed the Dagonessence, the Degana-sons. <laughs> Uh But yeah, that and, was very <laughs> clever. This well, you know what's sucked about that is, I did that like one day before, and then all of a sudden, like some singer I hadn't heard of before, like drops an album named R- Renaissance, like right after that, and right. so <laughs> kind of got overshadowed a little bit. My funny joke about nobody your... can overshadow me. Come on. Yeah, right. Not even <laughs> not even Beyonce. Um, all no, right. Beyonce can. Okay, no, no. I, let's be real. Let's okay. Yeah, right. All right. All right. Uh, I like that. that humility. That was good. That was a little. No, I do um, have four planets in Virgo. One okay. more than Joe. Which I'll always so. <laughs> speaking speaking of humility, tell me about yourselves, Joe. What do you have <laughs> going on? Where can people find out more information about you?
1: Um, you can find me everywhere online at Joe Maker of Ways, so JoeMakerOfWays.com. dot com, and um, that's my handle on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I offer consultations. I launch my availability once a month, so that'll be the fourth week of the month. Um, and I focus on sort of narrative astrology or a a story driven approach where there's a lot of storytelling kind of using traditional Hellenistic astrology as the building blocks for that. Um, and I have ended up specializing in the 12th house. So if you have a 12th house, whether or not it has planets in it, um, I would love to chat with you about it. So that's what I have going on right now.
0: I like that. So, anybody with the twelfth house, check out Joe's website, <laughs> which I'll put a link to in the description below this video on YouTube or on the Astrology Podcast website in the entry for this episode. Uh, Nick, what do you have going on, and where can people find out more information about you? I can be found at nickdaganbestastrologer.com. Um,
2: yeah, these days I'm I'm just I'm focused mainly mainly on doing consultations, and uh, I've got some video and writing projects that I'm working on. Um, as far as, uh, uh, chart specialties, I just sort of, uh, uh you know, whatever, whatever comes along, uh, I'll, I'll talk about whatever house needs to be talked about.
0: All right. Cool. Sounds good. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, links to all those websites in the description of this video or on the podcast website. Uh, thank you both so much for joining me. This has been amazing and has been a great, uh, you know, fifth episode in this series. We'll see. We'll see how the next episode goes. We'll see if Virgo can top this. Uh, they've got a big, tall order to fill, but we'll see what happens.
2: Good luck.
0: All right. <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll see that's, what happens. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped us support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, and Jake Otero. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons. Or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreoncom astrologypodcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called Astrogold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code astropodcast15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com slash book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called The Hellenistic Astrology Course. Which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. And finally, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co. And the Astrogold Astrology app, which is available for iPhone and Android. You can find out more information about that at astrogold.io. There's also a major astrology conference happening this year that's being hosted by the International Society for Astrological Research, and that's happening August 25th through the 29th, 2022 in Westminster, Colorado. You can find out more information at isar2022.org.